and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz. Happy Monday. Drafts behind us. USFL Week 3 is even behind us. Let's talk about what has happened, everyone. Going to go through the entire NFC today. 16 squads breaking through the draft picks, what that means for the veterans, and what our thoughts are now in fantasy football. As always, I am joined by none other than PFF's finest, Dwayne The Rock McFarlane. Dwayne, happy Monday, man. Yeah, man. Happy Monday. Uh, what an awesome weekend. NFL draft. It's like, and I've talked about this before, but this is where it feels like the fantasy season's like, it's officially starting. Like, like we have the information we need. Free agency's been, you know, it's come and gone. Yeah, there's a few guys still floating around out there. Um, apparently, we're going to get some suspension news, like just randomly that's going to pop up. We got some players to talk about with that. But like having the draft, like now we know, like what do these rosters, you know, 95% of what we need to know about these rosters, we know right now. We just haven't had that until now. So it's projection season, Ian. It's it's time where we start like actually slotting these guys in and like really, um, you know, before we like we've had rankings and and I think they're still really good, but now like they're really going to tighten down. Probably going to really get uh, we'll probably have some some of your fun arguments that I know you want to have. Speaking of that suspension, yes, just before we started, DeAndre Hopkins, six games for a PED-related manner. Uh, I was telling Dwayne before the podcast, one of my favorite movies from the past, Dodgeball, Vince Vaughn, uh, you know, Ben Stiller doing some funny stuff. And the Average Joe's team, when they originally lost to the Girl Scouts, uh, they actually had the decision reversed because Bernice on the Girl Scouts team tested positive for three anabolic steroids as well as a low-grade beaver tranquilizer. So, you know, me wanting to have a good time, I tweeted. Uh, per sources, that's exactly what DeAndre Hopkins uh, tested positive for and has quickly made its way into Arizona Cardinals Twitter. And those people don't seem to realize it's a joke. So I'll be interested to see what kind of uh, trouble I'm in by the time this podcast wraps up. Dwayne, so but <laughs> what, what, what's your number one response so far, Ian? Oh, bro, we got like, it's going bonkers. <laughs> I mean, look, I tweeted it 15 minutes, 18 minutes ago, and we already got 400 retweets. So like there's... I'm I'm hoping I'm hoping in a best case scenario like Rap Sheet or Schefter have to like clarify that no DeAndre Hopkins did not test positive for beaver tranquilizers. Oh. Uh, As always, everyone, if I tweet anything with per sources, I am completely full of shit. So just keep that in mind uh, on the old Twitter sphere. But we'll talk about the Cardinals here in a little bit. Again, going through all the NFC squads, going to be starting off with the NFC East and the Dallas Cowboys. So draft picks from this weekend Jalen Tolbert, their seemingly new wide receiver three, drafted in round three. Also snagged tight end Jake Ferguson in round four. Just expecting to be more of a deaf piece. Obviously, Dalton Schultz is the tight end one in Dallas. Dwayne, in my opinion, the biggest veteran winner here might be CeeDee Lamb. You know, having James Washington and or Jalen Torbert there as the number three, they're going to be on the outside. I think Michael Gallup's going to be on the other side, giving CeeDee Lamb plenty of chances to be in the slot. Now, we talked about this a little bit before, and I agree with your point where it might be a rotation of sorts. I mean, Gallup should see some time there and everything too, but we all saw that 49ers game. What was it, only three or five targets for CeeDee Lamb throughout the year? Wasn't exactly a one-off issue with Dak. I mean, I don't want to call it an issue, but Dak does like to target the slot. If you look last year, graded out as having the ninth highest rate of targeting the slot and graded out as the seventh best quarterback while doing that. So CeeDee Lamb, even if it's not going to be a 50 or 80% you know, snap rate from the slot, should, should now be the favorite to be in there. I don't think we're going to have to have Cedric Wilson getting force-fed slot targets now for no good reason at all. So really love what this is doing for CeeDee Lamb, Dwayne. And we've been high on him this whole offseason, like the – weird week or two in March where people were seemingly off. CD Lamb seems to be a thing behind us. But looking at the ranks, look, Cup, 
Jefferson, Chase, easy, top tier. No one else is with them. You can do tier 1A and tier 1B, but no one's touching those guys. After that, though, with Adams, Hill, AJB, and Debo, excuse me, I would have Stefan Diggs, number four there. After Diggs, I think you could reasonably rank CeeDee Lamb five, Dwayne. Why are we going with Adams, Hill, AJB, or Debo when CeeDee probably has the higher target ceiling and probably has the better quarterback? Because I don't know that all those receivers are that much better than what we're going to see from CeeDee Lamb in 2022. Yeah, and I think that's what we all hope. Can C.D. Lamb take that next you know, step forward? Like he hasn't hit alpha level like Justin Jefferson, um, Cooper Cup, some of the even, you know, Jamar Chase, you know, um, but he's close. Like his targets per route run over the first two seasons, 21%, 22%. The biggest drawback for C.D. Lamb that has kept him already from scoring higher in fantasy football is 72% of the routes in 2020. Now, some of this is injury, but 76% of the routes in 2021. So we, for wide receiver ones, like historically, you're going to be right around the 90%, you know, number on that or a little bit higher. So CD Lamb alone, like if we just see him on the field all the time, not rotating off as much, playing 85, 95%, you know, of the passing plays, that alone in itself, even if he keeps his targets per route the same because Dallas runs so many plays, it's going to be hard to keep him out of the top six. But I agree with you based on what we've seen here. Um, I think there is a really good chance that he gets to play in the slot. But I think right now the biggest thing for Lamb is he's locked. He's going to be on the field all the time. Yeah. Like if they're in two wide receiver sets, if they're in three wide receiver sets, like he's just not going to be leaving the field because we know they like to use 12 personnel. Now, will they really use that as much now that you have Blake Jarwin gone and you really have Dalton Schultz? I know the Cowboys did address that a little bit in the draft. But I think the other big winner here really is Dak Prescott. Now, I know we've moved on from Amari Cooper. You can't necessarily replace him with a rookie and Tolbert, you know, and then James Washington. But at the same time, like it shows the Cowboys mindset. Right. And if you look at their draft overall, they were pretty heavy on the offensive side of the ball, at least early. And so when I look at that, I know there's still a commitment to Dak. We know that the Cowboys, even whenever we were doing our projections, you know, between me and you and Nathan, just a team volumes and things like that, so that we could pull that into a tool for draft day, like immediately, like the Cowboys jumped to the very top. Like over the last two seasons, no team has run more plays in regulation than the Cowboys with Mike McCarthy there on a per play, on a per game basis. And that excludes overtime since we can't really predict who's going to get overtime or not. So I love it for Dak. I think we're going to continue to see the pedal to the metal kind of uh, play calling. Um, might run the ball a little bit more, but the volume is so, the team volume overall is so good. I think that's going to continue to be a good thing for Dak. And, and Tolbert, man, he is a true playmaker. Like he can work the field. He can work down the field. Um, he can work all levels. He is a rack guy. I know he's a little bit older coming out, but overall, I know it's a small downgrade still from Amari Cooper because Amari Cooper was a special player, but I just like seeing the commitment, right, that the Cowboys still have to Dak and the way that they want to, that, that they want to run the offense. Do you think Tolbert's actually someone we need to worry about? I'm just, if we see him play and legit be the full-time number three in this offense, that's fine. But I think sometimes this might be an example of us getting a little too hyped about a third-round rookie wide receiver. We saw this last year with Diami Brown, Josh Palmer. Like, it's tough for these guys to come in and just take a straight-up, you know, full-time role from day one. It's happened before. But I think with James Washington and Noah Brown there, we could just kind of see them more or less cancel each other out. So is Tolbert someone, Dwayne, that you see yourself really prioritizing or you just think he's more of a probably just a, a good value in the third round that will help the offense? Probably not someone we need to be prioritizing in fantasy, though. Yeah, I think the range of outcomes is just what you said, right? Typically, you know, we don't see that from a third receiver. However, he does have a really good landing spot. Now, landing spot is not everything, but it is a piece. 
and my thought process, like some of the other guys we've talked about, you know, I've seen enough from James Washington. You know, James Washington has played on a team that just produces receivers and he could never get it going. So like that's a negative for me on Washington. And so and Noah Brown, like I've watched him like he's fine. He's a good player. They like him because he's also a really good blocker. But I do think that Tolbert will get the he's going to have every chance to be the third guy on the field. And if I am going to place a chip, like, say, late in best ball drafts or even late, like in some of these deeper leagues like FFPC and FFC, some of these things like Tolbert is the guy I like stashing towards the end of my roster. But you just quickly see at the beginning of the year, like if he doesn't come through and like we don't see a flash early, boom, just go ahead and drop him. The reason I like drafting players like that, though, in deeper leagues is because man, when they do hit, because they're a rookie, people's imaginations run wild. So like the waiver wire thing goes nuts. You saw it last year with Elijah Mitchell sitting in the 49er scheme, a run heavy scheme and a young player. Week one, people were dropping 90% of their waiver wire dollars. Not to say it'd be the same thing with Tolbert, but anytime a rookie hits out of the gate that isn't already on most rosters, that's that's a potential um, you know mixture that's really going to create a situation where you're going to have to spend too much in waiver wire. So I'd rather just have them on my roster, see if they hit. Then if they don't, I can drop them. And a lot of times, like if it's an older veteran or something going off in week one, you can still get them for a min bid on the waiver. Next up, we got the Philadelphia Eagles. Only skill position player drafted was tight end Grant Calcaterra in round six. Not, not expecting too much involvement from him, particularly with Dallas Goddard, obviously ingrained at the top of the depth chart. But, you know, trading for A.J. Fook and Brown also will help the cause for everyone involved. Biggest winner because of that is Jalen Hurts and the fact, Dwayne, that they didn't feel the need to add a quarterback at any point in time. I fully, you know, we had our uh, Mike Renner put out his 2023 mock draft today. Four QBs going in the top 10. So so I'm not saying that the, you know, Hertz is definitively there in 2023 or beyond, but for 2022, fully expecting him to start 17 games with good health. And we talked about this a little bit at the night of the trade, Dwayne, but expecting somewhere in the middle of those two kind of versions of the Philadelphia Eagles offense last year, weeks one through seven, fifth in situation neutral pass play rate at 67.1%, but that fell by more than 20% from weeks eight through 18, where they ranked dead last in situation neutral pass play rate. So for Hertz, when they were passing the ball and when they weren't passing the ball, it didn't matter, man. He has a league high 74% QB1 rate during starts from 2020 to 2021. So he's ingrained as a top 12 quarterback. I would love if we can just honestly kind of get him around that same QB10 price point as last year because adding A.J. Brown this offense should only help some of those passing numbers, and he's already a cheat code on the ground. So all good things for Jalen Hurts. I think the big question, though, Dwayne, is what are we doing with Devontae Smith? Because we talked about A.J. Brown. He's not losing really target potential he's the he was the number one in a run first titans offense now he's the number one in a potential run first eagles offense but what about Devonte smith because he was someone we kind of had sitting that wide receiver three range before this trade i don't i think he's fine i think he compliments aj brown great he's an amazing number two real life wide receiver to have in your offense but last year wide receiver 45 and expected ppr points per game I don't know that we should expect him to have more targets than he did before. What are your overall thoughts on Devontae? And do you see yourself kind of taking him over some of these Broncos wide receivers, Allen Robinson, guys going in that same range? Yeah, so I think this is a really good question. And I'll say you hit the right point early. Like we really saw two versions of the Eagles offense last year. Now, the version that started winning football games was the one that started running. So you know that's going to stick with the coach. They're going to have that recency bias. But at the same time, them showing that they're willing to go out and add A.J. Brown. You drafted Devonta Smith in the first round the year before. You got, you got some um, equity, you know, as far as like your cap now tied up in Dallas Goddard. Like I do think 
that we'll probably see something a little more in the middle. I don't expect, and it's really hard anyway, folks, like to truly come out and only drop back to pass like 55, 53% of the time. So remember, dropbacks include you could have been sacked. It turns into a scramble. Like it, so it's not just true pass attempts, but the intent of the play in the beginning was to throw the ball. And so to be at 55%, that's really low. The league average in the NFL is 60%. And so I think that's the really big thing, like what happens. And I'm willing for where Devonta Smith goes. Um, I'm willing to, to still continue to place bets on him because he is a former first round pick. Um, he was really good in college. Like he checks off a lot of the boxes we want to see. Yeah, he was older as a rookie, kind of like what Calvin Ridley was whenever he came out of um, Alabama as well. But we can't pretend to be perfect with these things. Everything has a range of outcomes. So what I like about Devonta Smith is where he's going. Like he did check enough of the boxes last season as far as like his PFF rookie receiving grade, all the kind of metrics we talk about. We don't have to rehash them all here today. But I like him and I definitely want to mix him in. Now, if you if you were like, hey, Dwayne, Girl Scouts coming to the door, like you <laughs> definitely have to choose right now in this moment. Do you want to have Jerry Judy or do you want to have Devonta Smith? I'm going to lean to Jerry Judy just because we know they are two teams that both now have multiple weapons to feed. I feel a little bit better about the Broncos because obviously we're going to give the nod to Russell Wilson. But I think folks do need to kind of tap the brakes a tad on Jalen Hurts. None of us are trying to say like he's going to be Tom Brady. But he did he did improve his completion, his adjusted completion percentage, which removes like your spikes and all the kind of crap you shouldn't count towards a player's completion percentage. He moved it from 65% to 74% last season. So he moved 9%. And a season where everybody basically, and this is a reminder of why you can't just project statically. I remember last year, everyone was doing their projections and they were projecting Jalen Hurts to actually be like at a league worse and, you know, his completion percentage. And like, I didn't calculate any chance of having growth. And so when you do your projections, you start to think forward, you have to know that there's a range of outcomes. And because of that, the Eagles could change their offense. Devonta Smith is still a really good player. So I think Devonta Smith's a guy I definitely want exposure to. You know, I was thinking about this more over the weekend. I am going to move A.J. Brown down a little bit. And we talked about the reasons why. So if folks want to hear them, they can go back and listen to that pod. Um, but at the end of the day, like I still want exposure to, to A.J. Brown. But like, dude, Jalen Hurts is like a huge winner in this. Like, Because if for some reason the Eagles say just got to league average in passing, and now he's got these, addi these additional weapons, Devonta Smith is – should get better as a second year player. Uh, I think there is an opportunity now, and you tell me what you think, Ian, but like best case scenario, there is a range for Jalen Hurts that he could finish as the number one quarterback in fantasy because we know the legs matter a ton. Like Jalen Hurts is going to have 180, uh, 850 rushing yards out of the gate. Yeah. So, I mean, that's 85 fantasy points right there that Tom Brady, for example, doesn't get. And I mean, that's going to be right in the range with Kyler Murray. Um, that's going to be in range with Lamar Jackson, probably a little bit behind him if Lamar Jackson's healthy all season. But if he actually throws, you know, does a little better than Lamar in the passing game, all of a sudden, like, man, Jalen Hurts is a major arbitrage play at this point on Lamar Jackson. You, get, you can get him an ADP pick 10 instead of Lamar Jackson, who is actually still going a little later than he should. Like he's typically going off the board as quarterback five, quarterback six. Dude, and Hertz had four games with 300 plus passing yards in his first like eight career starts. Like, what? Didn't it take Josh Allen like three years to get that many passing yards in a single game? And like, it was all anyone could. Ever I feel like it's the Dumb and Dumber scene where you know Lloyd is just not Lloyd, but the you know he's just sitting there la 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 <laughs> like people don't like look. We these things aren't perfect. Just make sure that you give yourself room to consider things going one way or another, right? And so when I get to certain points in drafts, like buy into the talent, you know, don't be so hardcore that 
like if you got two players graded next to each other and one of them you think it's 90% because of the situation they're in and the other player you think it's 70% because of their talent, like typically I lean to the talent just because weird shit happens, man, once the season starts. You know, who knows? Maybe the Eagles defense is way worse this year. You know, um, maybe for some reason they can't run the ball and they decide they want to throw the ball. There's all sorts of things that could happen that could make the Eagles throw the ball more. And we never, in fantasy, we give more credence to, more credit, I should say, to the rushing upside of quarterbacks. But it always makes me mad when I see, like, you know, people just comparing, like, Tom Brady to Jalen Hurts just as passers and just completely removing the other part of the game. Because to your point, particularly in fantasy, it's 85 points and more with the rushing touchdowns that are going to be on the table that Brady just doesn't even have a chance to get. So we don't need Hurts to be even really close to as good as Tom Brady is at throwing the football because of the way our scoring works. So no point to really hold him to that standard uh, when we're talking about it. Next NFC East squad, we got the Washington Commanders. They took wide receiver Jahan Dotson in the first round, running back Brian Robinson in the third, quarterback Sam Howell in the fifth, and tight end Cole Turner in the fifth as well. Dwayne, I don't think there was like a single veteran winner here. Like there were seriously. Just losers. <laughs> Everyone's a loser. What Wentz, Wentz now has to deal with Sam Howell, fifth round pick. I still think Wentz is, you know, the favorite to start all 17 games. But hey, PFF, for example, awfully high on Sam Howell. And the fact they added a quarterback, you know, is a problem that guys like Jared Goff, Drew Locke, some of these other quarterbacks that we don't really care about anyway, but they're they're not facing the same sort of competition that Wentz is. Uh, you know, adding Dotson to the group just further complicates things for Curtis Samuel and Diami Brown and with Terry McLaurin like this is now a first round wide receiver that could feasibly take away some of his you know just egregious target share year to year Brian Robinson could be taking the early down work from Antonio Gibson who's already losing pass down work to JD McKissick even Cole Turner around five man Logan Thomas is coming off an injury maybe Washington decides hey maybe we shouldn't play a tight end 100% of the snaps every single game for the rest of time so at this point, Dwayne, like other than Terry McLaurin, who do we even want from this offense? I'm not trying to shit on Carson Wentz because if you look at it, over six, Wentz has had six years as a starter. He's finished his offense has finished 18th or better in scoring five of six years and his you know 2017 near MVP year. They finished third in scoring, and then actually with the Colts, they finished ninth. I know other players had a lot to do with that, but I mean Washington hasn't had a scoring offense ranked higher than 23rd since 2017. So like as bad as you might think Wentz is, he really is an upgrade over pretty much everyone we've seen in Washington for the better part of the last five years. But now that everything's getting so cut up, Dwayne, like Terry McLaurin, I think is firmly in that upside wide receiver two range. With that said, we could talk about some other guys maybe want to prioritize ahead of him. And beyond that, I don't want anyone here. Yeah, I mean, I think Dots, I think Jahan Dotson's the guy that I would still like. If I'm going to take a swing late, it's probably him. Um, you know, I wouldn't completely count out, you know, Curtis Samuel. I think the cool thing about all these guys, Ian, is they're a, I think most the market sentiment is going to be similar to what you just said. So I don't think it's going to cost you a lot, you know, from an ADP perspective, as far as if you want to take some shots on some of these other uh, ancillary pieces. And to your point, like it's not an offense we're going to try to get all in on. Like, it, look, here's the thing you have to remember, like with Washington, they've thrown the ball and they've done that a lot, like over the last two seasons. But it is it's truly due to they've been forced to like if, if they could make things work the way they want to they would throw the ball less, right? And they would be able to depend on their defense more. So the thing you got to calibrate in your mind, like if Washington actually does take a step forward and becomes a better football team, it may not even be, it may not even be better for fantasy, right? Because they're going to try to get more conservative in that kind of a scenario. 
Um, so yeah, I'm with you. When I look at Carson Wentz, I'm not really that excited about it. I guess you could argue that this is a slide upgrade for him. Like he does have an extra weapon, you know, we'll see what Cole Turner does, but like we, we can expect, you know, a rookie hopefully to come in, you know, taken in the first round. Some will argue that that was a reach and I, I mean, I get it, but it's technically an upgrade, you know, for Wentz. So if, if, if you want to make that a tiebreaker between Wentz and say, you know, another quarterback that, you know, isn't on a great offense that maybe doesn't have any, any, as many weapons, like that would really be the only thing I would do. Like as far as McLaurin goes, like, look, man, target, uh, targets per route run. We just talked about CD lamb. Like he's on a great pace, 20%, 21%, 22%. Like he's going to be the leader of the offense. Um, there is enough room though. Like that's not a, that's not like elite alpha level yet. So there is room for one of these guys to come through. I think to your point though, man, I have a really hard time putting a pin in who that's going to be. Like, why Why do we want to draft Terry McLaurin three rounds probably ahead of where we can get, like, Brandon Cooks or Darnell Mooney at this point? Well, I think it's just because we we have – there's a belief, right, with where Terry McLaurin is in his career arc. Like, the big boom could still happen because the things that we've seen from him are typically the things that we see from a receiver before they do have their big breakout season. And remember, a lot of these receivers don't have their true, like – best career season until year four or five. Like, and that's when you get like the absolute, like, oh my God, like this mega season. Some of them are year six and seven. So the good news for McLaurin, he's he's progressed each year. He's gotten a little bit better each year in some of these key metrics that we want to see. And so there is there is the possibility, right, that he really does hit that huge boom year. And look, man, like the dude needs some help. Like, I mean, Terry McLaurin, like, is getting a lot of coverage, you know, whenever you play Washington, because they really don't care about anyone else, especially once you start trailing like the way they have. So um, I, I still believe in McLaurin. I still think he's the clear-cut winner. Um, man, dude, you've been selling me on McLaurin. You didn't, now you're going to make me move him down the ranks. Come on. <laughs> hey, I'm trying to ask the right I'm questions. You, I'm with you. I'm I don't with want you. to, uh, you know, can't let that Ohio State bias completely cloud me uh, with everyone, right? <laughs> New York Giants. Picked wide receiver Wandale Robinson, kind of considered a reach, but there are some people that like him as well. Hey, real quick, sorry, Ian. Like, where are you on Antonio Gibson? Oh, man. Out? Can we just... I'm out. Yeah. So I did my ranks. I turned my ranks in today for an article that will come out tomorrow. Today, my quarterback tiers, my new quarterback tiers came up tomorrow. The new running back tiers will come up, and then you'll get receivers and tight ends later this week. Um, but yeah, I, uh, Antonio Gibson dropped. I had him, I think sitting at 14 or somewhere before you actually probably have it pulled up. I dropped him to just outside the top 24. I just okay. feel like there's too, too many, too many mouths to feed. I still said, look, he has a, he has an upside profile if things break his way. But the way I look at him now, he's the lead back in a committee on a bad offense. Just, I'm just not that interested, and we know he doesn't get to catch passes. They could now pull him inside the five because they may think Brian Robinson's the better option. Brian, Robertson, Brian Robertson's a freaking fantastic inside zone runner, so he could take over more than we think. But but my worry is, like, the worst-case scenario for Gibson, you kind of already said it, so, hey, your tweet was really funny. So, great, Antonio Gibson doesn't get to catch passes, and now he also may not even get to, you know, carry the football. Like, so what's left? He could end up being like this dude that's just out there between the 20s, but never catching passes and never scoring touchdowns. That That's the worst case for Gibson. And this is not Dwayne and I like just wishing that Gibson was going to be this, you know, DC CMC type player. Ron Rivera is the one that freaking comped him to Christian McCaffrey. Yeah. And then Kyle Allen, freaking Kyle Allen, as if I haven't had enough problems with him <laughs> over the years, decides last preseason to say that, you know, they're imagining that CMC role for Antonio Gibson. So, yeah, you know, he's... He, and Adrian Peterson even did it the season before. 
Look, like man, he came and, out and basically validated it all. Antonio Antonio Gibson is Christian McCaffrey. He just doesn't have him, maybe he doesn't have an early down role or a pass down role anymore. So he's just <laughs> the opposite of Christian McCaffrey. That's that's what Ron Rivera <laughs> meant exactly. But Dwayne, like right now, I think I would take Clyde Edwards Hilaire and probably Cordero Patterson over Antonio Gibson at this point. Yeah, and I think you can make a fair argument for all those things. I'm really interested to see like how far he falls. Like he, he still has the underlying talent we like, but now, and it's something you like to say, like how many things has to break right, you know, for Gibson to truly end up in this great role this year? Like, I mean, how many carries do you think Brian Robinson gets week one? I bet it's more than five. I do too. I think Brian Robinson is going to be a threat for 150 attempts this God. season. If he gets that, you know, Gibson last year had over 250 and he was already carved out of the passing game. And we saw what kind of problem that was. Like, we could really see Gibson get limited, you know, to that 10 to 12 range. And you could have, you know, Robinson in that 6 to 8 range. You know, if they're losing all the time, that's about all they're going to have is 20, 22 carries per game. Um, so, I mean, it could some it could fall somewhere in that range. Just just can't have it. It's not going to happen. It's <laughs> upsetting. Back to the New York Giants again. Wandale Robinson, wide receiver in round two. Also took tight end Daniel Bellinger in round four. We'll see how that kind of affects Ricky Seals-Jones. I did list RSJ as a winner. Basically, you know, if you were someone, I have a list on uh, pff.com, 27 veterans that won the NFL draft. I'm just not giving that much respect to guys drafted rounds four through seven, but maybe Bellinger does find a way to turn this into a bit of a rotation. The big winner, Dwayne, is Saquon Barkley. Look at the backup running back right now. Matt Breida, who we just saw not have the chance, or really get the chance to emerge as the Bills' number one running back last year. Like, we remember on Thanksgiving, all the reports and all that. Matt Breed is going to be the guy, does okay. What happens the rest of the year? Brian Brian Dable goes right back to Devin Singletary. So, the fact that Breed is the backup now and not Devontae Booker, I feel so much better about because Booker, no, not the scariest, you know, backup running back to have necessarily, but was someone that could consistently work across all three downs. I think we've seen Breed, you know, go from one timeshare to the next. I would be shocked if he is like any sort of risk to legitimately turn this into a 50-50 backfield. But Saquon, man, he just turned 25 in February. In 2019, he had a high ankle sprain. In 2020, tore his ACL, had the MCL sprain. Last year, sprained his ankle off that freaking biggest fluke ever you know, against the Cowboys yeah. right when he was starting to get healthy. So I was just going through the running backs, Dwayne. Like who gets more touches this year than Saquon with no injuries to anyone? Probably Najee, Derrick Henry, Jonathan Taylor, after that, like Joe Mixon, Dalvin Cook, Fournette, Connor, Montgomery, Kamara, maybe McCaffrey. But Saquon is firmly in that group. And I just think this is one of these prime situations where everyone is so pissed about Saquon burning us for the last two years that they're going to ignore the fact that he's in an offense that's going to be better because, my God, they can't get any worse. And this dude should be getting over 300 touches with good health. Those are not players we want to fade, Dwayne. So unless we are just convinced that Saquon Barkley is this such an atrocious running back that he's not going to be able to do anything with the volume, like the Kalen Balazs treatment from a couple years ago, I don't think we're there. I do not think we're there. I want Saquon Barkley in the third round. We've never had a chance to get him this cheap. I think we might just have it this year. Yeah, we are going to have it. Um, and he is the winner, like, because they did not add anybody. I'm with you on Brita. Like, Brita, 10 to 20% of the snaps at the most. Like, Saquon's going to be out there 70 to 80% of the plays. Um, so uh, the biggest question with Barkley is what you just mentioned is the lack of explosive plays purely due, and we're just going to throw out 2020. It was such a small sample size, only two games, not even a full two games. Um, but is the deterioration in explosive plays, is that 
is it gone for good or was it really just Saquon was still recovering last year, got really unlucky with that other injury because he had been 12% and 12% his first two seasons. That's one and a half percent above the league average over the last three years. But last year, only 6% of his carries went for 10 plus yards or more. And that's the key you're going to need, you know, from a player like Barkley, because he also has a lot of plays where he gives up yards. We also need him to get more involved in the passing game. His targets per route run, though, were still really good last year in 22%. So just a hair below like the elites like Kamara, McCaffrey, that are 25% and above, like he was right there on the cusp. And if you look at him in 2018, he was at 24%. He was basically there. Now, I know the Giants theoretically on paper have a lot of other guys that they could feed the ball to. They did also just add Wondell Robinson. But to me, like Barkley, we know is going to be out there all the time. So I really do think that he'll have a chance to be more involved in the passing game this year based on the targets per route we saw last year because again a lot of these is it's not just scheme Barkley is a is, he's an athlete that can do more than just catch swing passes like oh, yeah. you can actually get him down the field doing some Ian loves it when I say Texas route running a Texas route <laughs> you know faking out a linebacker you know getting past him get the ball to him you know in space let him do some damage after the catch so really that is just the biggest question is Barkley's explosiveness has it been sapped by injuries, or was it really just an injury, you know, plague season all last year that we should throw out? Because you can make the argument either way. His two, his two nearly full healthy seasons, 12%, his other two seasons where he dipped off, he had, he had severe injuries, you know, in those seasons. And again, we can't really count 2020. So I think even if you just put it somewhere in the middle, like you said, okay, maybe Barkley won't be back to 2018, but he's definitely not going to be 2021. I think that's reasonable to think that he can be in the nine to 10% range in the explosive, in the explosive attempt attempt category and he's already above average he used to be above average in everything his yards after contact uh, rushes avoided per attempt like so we know it's all there it's just a matter of how much can he get it back but even if you think Barkley's never going to be 2018 again it's what you said like I put him in my first second third fourth tier which is veterans with every down potential and that's Leonard Fournette James Conner and Saquon Barkley when you look at those depth charts for those players it's very hard to imagine scenarios where those guys won't be at 70% of the work. And look, I understand the Buccaneers, Cardinals offenses. We want those. They're but better. They're better. But Saquon yeah. has more upside to return to what he was. Saquon's exactly. a much more explosive player than either of those guys. Best version of Saquon's better than either of those yeah. other best versions. And as yeah. bad as Saquon was last year, he averaged the same amount of yards per carry as James Conner. Not saying that's the end-all, be-all stat, but like, come on. We just saw Najee Harris really work as a – objectively below average running back by any stat you want to pull up for an entire season turned in top five fantasy uh, just value because of the volume. So the volume wins out nine times out of 10 for the running backs. Let's not again, be so stubborn and so just recency bias about this to miss out on Saquon at cost. That's the thing. We're not telling you to draft Saquon round one. Like we've always had to, we don't have to anymore. Go get him in round three. Dwayne, I think the biggest losers here in New York, it's just the wide receiver room. They're, everyone's cheap still, so I'm not saying completely no, but we don't know what's going on with Tony right now, getting some words that he's not on the trade block. Who knows if we can believe that. We have Sterling Shepard coming back from the Achilles. Kenny Galladay still got 72 million reasons why he should be the number one. Darius Slayton is still there, and now we got Juan Dale Robinson. I like this from the perspective that we can buy all these guys way closer to their floor and ceiling. But now I'm wondering, is there even really a ceiling we should be trying to pursue here? Yeah, I think you'll just take some stabs on them along the way. Like, and if you're going to do it, like there's a case you could make for all of them, right? Yeah. Kenny Galladay has been a really good receiver before. And guess what? People forget, like people forget injury stuff. Like when it's not a season ending injury, people just completely forget about this stuff. And really for Kenny Galladay, two seasons in a row, 
But last year he got hurt in training camp, just wasn't right, tried to come back, got re-injured, was never really on the same page with Daniel Jones. And so I think you can make an argument for Galladay. Like we've never, we've never, um, you know, at least, you know, when I've been on the podcast, like postured Galladay as like this elite alpha. But he could still be a really good number two wide receiver on a fantasy team if he got back, you know, to his previous levels. And he's not, he's not too old to do that yet. Like he could still be there. Um, so I like Gall- you could like Galladay for that reason. I think whenever you look Dwayne, at Sterling Shepard, great point on those injuries. I didn't realize like how yeah. consistent it was. August third, shout out to uh, Draft Sharks. I love their injury history that they have. Yeah, it's um, great. on their website. August third, uh, hamstring sprain, pull, you know, unspecified, but he was dealing with that during training camp and couldn't be out there. September twenty second, he suffers a hip strain. October tenth, he has a knee strain, and December fifth, he's all of a sudden has a chest and rib injury. So literally, man, the dude had three separate lower body injuries by the time October tenth came around. This is someone that we know Kenny's not winning, you know, based on really his juice to begin with. So now you're going to take away some of his explosiveness. It's no wonder he couldn't make the most out of it. Oh, and by the way, there's freaking. Star- starting quarterback was out by the time he actually got out there. And Mike Glennon, by pretty much any stat we have, was like the worst quarterback in the NFL last year. I mean, his turnover-worthy plays are like comical. Like, I want to just explain like to little kids what a turnover-worthy play is just so I can joke about Mike Glennon uh, to them. But yes, Dwayne. Now, Sterling Shepard, who we like, but that Achilles is problematic. Yeah, no, that, that's the question with him. But when he's been on the field, Daniel Jones loves him. Like, no other player has a higher target for a route run than Sterling Shepard when he's on the field. Problem is, he just can't ever stay out there. So I like Shepard a little less for best ball because you worry about, you know, availability throughout the stretch and just so many things could go on with this depth chart. But in a redraft, like deeper league again, I can get my hands on Sterling Shepard round 18, round 19. There's a chance you're plugging him in your lineup come week two, at least while he's healthy. So you'll have to wait and see what we get with Achilles. It may be something with him where really he's not even ready till like week six or seven. Well, we'll, we'll start getting more information around pup lists and things like that, like as the as the summer goes on. But whenever I look at Kadarius Tony, like, man, that's the biggest one. The Wandell Robinson thing, like now the problem is you've got Sterling Shepard. What does he do? He plays slot. Um, Kadarius Tony, he can play outside. You still have Slayton who can play outside. Kenny Galladay who plays outside. But really where we where where Tony went, you know, bonkers last year was getting to play more inside. And then you know whenever you look at Wandell Robinson, he's going to be a player that's going to be a satellite, probably line up some in the backfield. He's going to line up in the slot. So now the biggest concern with those guys is like, can any of them be on the field like in basic two wide receiver sets? Like Galladay is the only one I'm thinking right now that I'm pretty certain of. And so, like, and of course, I think his ADP is going to reflect that. But Tony is the guy going the highest. And I do love him, man. I mean, he hit so many great thresholds last year that we want to see. Now, he barely had enough routes to do so. We make the cutoff 200. He had 200 and went. He had like 53 targets, too. So we barely (laughs) cut that one. (laughs) Yeah. And so, but when you look at it, man, targets per route run 26%. That's freaking bonkers. 2.09 yards per route run. And he hit the 74.4 PFF receiving grade as a rookie. So just 0.06 shy of hitting that 75. We love to see. I'm going to give a guy credit, like when they're that close. So, Tony's still the player I'm the most intrigued with because we saw such a huge flash, but there's all these questions around him. So what I'm hoping is the drafting of Wondell Robinson, Yeah. all the smoke around Tony with, is he going to get traded? Is he not going to get traded? Which honestly could end up being a good thing. Like if Tony were to get traded to the right team, let's hope that ADP just, just cools off a little because it had kind of gotten out of control, man. I was seeing Tony people get super excited about him. He's got a wide range whenever you look at him um, and where he goes and drafts, but like people were snagging him in round six. 
And I was like, man, like round six is like really aggressive. And I get it. You're putting a chip on talent, but there's so many questions around the guy. He feels more like an eighth, ninth round pick. I would feel a lot more comfortable if Kadarius Tony was going in that range. I don't want any of these guys as top 36 receivers, but once we start looking outside the top 48, top 50, yeah, that's when we're down to take some shots, particularly on Galladay and hopefully Tony. Before we keep going, people, we have a new leading sponsor. Shout out to Get Sunday, specifically Sunday. Does your lawn have weeds, bear patches, or pet spots? Sunday can help you solve all these problems and more the easy way. They got everything you need from fertilizer to seeds to weed control, and it's all delivered right to your door. Sunday can help you grow a beautiful lawn without the guesswork or the nasty chemicals. Their custom plans include fertilizer and everything you need to easily care for your lawn, and you can feel good with kids and pets being around. Just attach the ready-to-use pouch to a garden hose and spray. It takes less than 15 minutes, and Sunday is offering all of our listeners 20% off. Full season plans start at just $129, and again, you can get 20% off at checkout when you visit GetSunday.com fantasy. Again, that's 20% off your custom plan at GetSunday.com slash fantasy. Also, everyone, have a nice code for you. Code FANTASY for 25% off any PFL subscription. All of our locked article content, fantasy football rankings, data and grades, all that and so much more. Support the pod and use promo code FANTASY for 25% off any sub. And have gotten a question or two about this. We will officially have our 2022 rankings live on the site under the usual ranking tab by the end of this week. Dwayne, myself, Nathan Yonke, you know, we publish articles with our rankings in them. But now we will finally have those suckers live. They'll be updated, you know, not on an everyday basis probably but maybe at least you know every week we will be keeping tabs on that throughout the summer and we'll be nicely formatted so no more articles you can use code 25 percent off again code fantasy for 25 percent off any pff subscription i like that long care ad Dwayne. you're a big long guy it's, it's good to go outside get your hands dirty sometimes yeah you got to get your hands in the dirt as as evan silva says uh <laughs> you got got you got damn hands in the dirt <laughs> <laughs> I, I got to mulch my mom's yard on Wednesday. It's going to be a good time. There you go. I like Dude, it. If, it's, yeah, it's liberating. You're you feel, feel good great. when you're done. You feel good. Yeah. Like, it's no wonder, we, you know, human beings. Got to watch out for the copperheads. Like, I'll have Ian come oh, hang man. on down here and we'll do some yard work. <laughs> have to get some boots on hard. It's, we get the pictures. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. <laughs> NFC North, Green Bay Packers took wide receiver Christian Watson at the very beginning of round two. Also, my favorite wide receiver. For, I've been a lifelong Romeo Dobbs fan for weeks. Round four, also wide receiver Samari Torrey in round seven. So, he was peppering that wide receiver room. Dwayne, the biggest win- winner, maybe Robert Tunyon. I feel like he's kind of going under the radar. This is a guy that has caught double-digit touchdowns before in a far more crowded offense than they have now. You look at the competition at tight end. There's nobody. Mercedes Lewis, what is he, 45 at this point? I do wonder, is this offense just going to be really run heavy? And maybe we're not anticipating that enough. Because as it is, over the last two years, you know, with LaFleur, 23rd in situation neutral pass play rate. I guess he's been there three now, so I should expand that. But anyway, over the last two years, I mean, if they go from 60.4, just a little bit down, we're talking about an offense that's going to be in that Minnesota, Baltimore, San Francisco territory. So maybe we shouldn't be worrying about too many people other than just this backfield. So I do hope we get the Alvin Kamara rule finally for Aaron Jones, which is just throw the guy more than 50 freaking targets because he's that he's that good. Only four running backs have averaged at least two yards per route run when lined up in the slot or route wide since 2019 my guy Cordero Patterson Austin Eckler Aaron Jones and Naeem Hines so truly special on a per route basis and yeah Dwayne I mean Aaron Jones 
if he's going to be in that RB2 range, I'm cool with it. But just these prices are all, all out of whack, whack, man. Like, do you feel good about any of these receivers to definitively put your foot down on him? I guess Watson because of the draft capital. But even then, it seems like he's kind of being there to replace MBS. I'm not so sure any of these wide receivers are going to end up clearing that 800, 900 yard mark as we've talked about. Yeah, I mean, so to start with, with you know, Tanyan, like, and it kind of applies to all the guys, like you mentioned. Like, there's a really good chance that this is just spread out across all these guys and that we don't have a true player step up. I don't think it's going to be Alan Lazard. Like, we've just seen it, you know, for too long. But, like, Tanyan has, Tanyan has some similar type underlyings. He did have a 21% target per route season um, in 2017 in 11 games. Um, it was only on 72 routes, though, so you kind of got to throw it out the window. In his two seasons where he's had at least, you know, 175 routes, it's been 16% and 13%. So typically when you see a tight end that's like that, what you need is either A, they need to be a more pass-heavy offense to help carry that, or B, they need to have major touchdown equity, which we did see Tunyon get. Um, you know, two seasons ago, whenever he finished, you know, as the tight end three, I think, I think that's right. Tight end three, man. It, it, was was only, it, was only, it was only two seasons ago. And of course we got touchdown regression and then injury hit for Tunyon. So, I mean, I kind of put them all together. I still think Watson is the biggest winner just because he's the unknown. Like we've seen Lazard before. We've really seen what the version of Sammy Watkins is today. I think you could argue maybe the next one. I know it's weird to say we'd be a fourth round pick and Romeo Dobbs, but like, yeah, I think I'm going to keep my eye on those two players. Dobbs probably isn't a player you're going to draft and redraft. You're just going to be able to wait and see, you know, if he's a guy you want to pick up in the first waiver wire run, if all of a sudden he comes out and he surprises us. But Watson is a guy that if you want him, you're going to have to draft him. And so we'll have to see where his ADP ends up. But my guess is he'll end up somewhere between like round nine and 12. Um, depending on what people end up thinking. Um, but I do agree that we could see a more run-heavy you know, team for the Packers. I mean, it makes sense. Like two of their best weapons are A.J. Dillon um, and Aaron Jones. And then we also have to remember that LaFleur, where does he come from? Yes, his first stop was really coming from that McVay offense, but then he spent time under the lovely Mike Rabel. Hey, smash mouth exotic. Like, let's run the ball. Let's do all this stuff. So I think there is a chance that we see the least passing that we've seen, you know, from the Packers over the last two seasons, especially if the defense can play. And, you know, if you have Aaron Rodgers, like, it seems like you would want to throw the ball more and more and more and more and more. But you could also run an offense where you're just letting Aaron do his thing when you need it, you know, yeah. and coming through with the big plays. Like what we saw back in the day with Russell Wilson you know, before the let Russ cook days when the Seahawks were actually really good. Like they didn't let Russ throw a lot. When they did, they went for the big plays. And I think that's why you saw them go for Watson as the archetype they did. They went for the guy that they thought could truly elongate the field, go for those big plays. And so he's the guy I would put the chip on. I think I'd be fine with Tunyon as well. Uh, but there is just a very good chance people have to realize we have a more run heavy offense and it's really just, it's kind of like, you know, peanut butter spread. Like you're just evenly spreading this out across all the bread. <laughs> Nobody's really, there's no big clump of jelly or anything in one spot, Ian, that you're just waiting for that sweet bite. Like you may not get it in this offense. And I don't want to speak into existence. I'm knocking on wood, but there's a chance that Watson starts the season outside of three wide receiver sets. They got Cobb in the slot, Amari Rogers behind him. It could be Alan Lazard and Sammy Watkins. And I know you want to sit there and say Sammy Watkins doesn't matter, Ian. It's 2022. Hey, Dwayne. 
there were weeks, man, where Rashad Bateman was not on that field last year because yeah. of Sammy Watkins. And it was unfortunate. As much as we hated it. <laughs> we hated it. It happened. So we still need to keep that in mind as a potential outcome, as always. Sticking with the NFC North, we got the Minnesota Vikings. Didn't really add any major pieces to the offense. Running back Ty Chandler in round five. Wide receiver Jalen Naylor in round six. Also tight end Nick Muse in round seven. So not too much changing in the backfield. And just really, Dwayne, you know, not much changing under center. I guess we do have to wonder if Kellen Mond under a new coaching staff can maybe push Kirk Cousins, but I don't think so. Cousins, no. I mean, look, he doesn't have I've watched Kellen. I've watched, I have watched Kellen Mond live at a football game. You're it's out? not good. It's not good. <laughs> it is not good. Yeah, I took my son to AM for a college visit when he was trying to decide where he wanted to go. And even he was like, he's like, God, like, who's this Kellen Mond guy? Like, he's <laughs> terrible. <laughs> So with that in mind, I think the two big winners here, and again, they did crack my top 27 winners in the league, Irv Smith and Adam Thielen, two guys that we've already talked up a little bit before the draft, but man, with Thielen, over the last two years, 24 touchdowns. Only Devontae Adams and Mike Evans have caught more touchdowns than Adam Thielen over the past two years. Over the past two years, he's played 28 of 33 games. Now, we can go back the year before that where he only played 10 games, but he didn't even miss a game due to injury in 2020. The only game he missed was due to COVID. Last year, he sprained his ankle, and then he re-aggravated it. Like, are we positive Adam Thielen is done? He's toast because he sprained his ankle? Because similar to Saquon Barkley, that's kind of the sentiment, and now Thielen is cheaper than he's ever been. I mean, Dwayne, he was barely going in the top 36 before the draft. I'm not so sure he's that type of receiver that's going to be shooting up the ranks and people are going to be trying to get exposure to. So he is older. I'm not saying we need to put him inside the top 20, but the point is you don't need to do that in order to still get him and make sure we're not holding, you know, the chance of injury or the fact he has been injured more so against him when Allen Robinson has also missed five games over the past two years. And look, Thielen's played more games than Chris Godwin, DeAndre Hopkins, Robert Woods, Devontae Parker, Corey Davis, and Kenny Galladay, none of whom I feel like are getting written off the same way as Thielen. Yes, Thielen's a little bit older, but it's not like he's ever won with, you know, just mesmerizing athleticism anyway he's a gritty gym rat right Dwayne he's a white wide receiver these are the guys we expect to maybe age a little bit better so high motor you know uh, dad was probably a coach but anyway (laughs) with all that said you know we've kind of talked about Thielen a lot I want to talk about if Irv Smith could be this year's Dawson hey real quick on on the just before you go there so yeah will be 32 years old my biggest concern with Thielen and I do think it's mostly addressed by ADP so so real quick side note on that like folks Upside can come from anywhere. Upside really, what matters is like, where are you having to draft an asset and what do we think we could potentially, you know, get from them? So Thielen is already being pushed down boards because people are concerned about the age. So it's essentially priced into his ADP. What you've got to determine is you think it's priced in accurately enough versus what's the opportunity cost of things that are going around Thielen. And I would argue like, man, a lot of the youthful wide receivers that were slide into these ranges in the drafts last year, they're already at the top of the board. So you're not, you're not choosing at like last year, you were having to choose Adam Thielen versus Deontay Johnson. Like you're not making that trade off this year. My one concern with Thielen is we have seen this gradual decline. Now it's not juju bad, but it's pretty bad. 20. So if we go back to 2017, here are his targets per route run, 25%, 23%, 21%, 21%, 19%. Yards per route run, 2.33, 2.10, 1.86, 1.86, 1.63. So there clearly is, like, that's enough of a trend for me that I do know Thielen is on a decline. But I think that the potential for where Thielen can still come through for you is, man, the freaking touchdowns. Kirk Cousins loves him. And I know we talk about this all the time. Like, don't bank on the touchdowns. There's regression. But look, there's a clear trend. 
with Adam Thielen and with Kirk Cousins, when they get inside the 10 yard line, um, you know, I kind of feel for Justin Jefferson, like, you know, Adam Thielen is the dude when he's on the field. And so I think there's still a route for you to get to where you want to go. We're just going to have to see what is sitting around him in ADP when all the dust settles. And I think then we'll have really a better feel of, you know, what kind of exposure are we going to have to Adam Thielen? What kind of exposure are we going to be recommending, you know, to the audience? Moving on to Irv Smith. Here's the question, Dwayne, what, because, this happens every year. You can feasibly kind of talk yourself into about 20 or 23 tight ends, but we got to pick one or two that we feel better about, you know? So at that point, who is going to be our 2022 version of Dawson Knox last year? And by that, I mean the dirt cheap, every down starter and a great offense who, no, we're not expecting 90 or 100 targets from them, but they might just have a chance to scoop up double-digit touchdowns on less target share because of the environment they're in and having that full-time role. I think there's five good guys. Robert Tunyon, who was basically that guy in 2020 already. Irv Smith, Hayden Hurst with the Bengals, Gerald Everett with the, um, oh my God, I'm blanking. Chargers, sorry. Yeah, and, Chargers. T- and Tyler Higby with the Rams. Out of those five, who do you feel best about throwing a dart at? I think it's probably Irv Smith. Yeah, it's Irv Smith. I mean, he's got the second. He's got the second round draft capital. We know that it takes tight ends longer to really break out in the league. You got to essentially give him twenty twenty one off. He, I mean, you don't have to. You can try not to, but he didn't play, so you have to give it to him. Um, so yeah, I think he's the guy. And we just talked about Adam Thielen. There is a trapdoor floor for Adam Thielen that he does just suddenly hit a wall. They did not add anyone else through the draft. We've got the um, fact that you got K.J. Osborne. You know, he, he could potentially be the beneficiary, but I think you're really down to Irv Smith and K.J. Osborne. Like one of them take a step forward if Thielen takes a step back or if Thielen just kind of stays where he's at. So for me, with tight ends, especially when I'm taking them later, I want to know a player that's got a path to be on the field, 80% of the routes. I think Irv Smith is a near lock for that. I like to see the draft capital we've had in the past. You know, we know this was a really good player coming out of Alabama, round two, pick 50 in 2019. Um, so to me, it's kind of a no brainer. He checks a lot. He, if all the guys you just gave, he's the only one that checks all of those boxes. You could argue Hayden Hurst. Yes. Was also um, a late first round pick rather than being an early second round pick, but he's also a little bit further. I want to say he's further in his career. Yeah, he is by a few years, but Hayden Hurst, the thing that trips me out, he's like 40, you know, he came out, I think he was like a minor league baseball player or something. <laughs> and then he switched to football. Um, but Gerald Everett, like we've seen it a little bit longer. Higby, like he definitely has had his chance. So I like all of them. But if I were to put a chip on one of them, it's definitely Herb Smith of that group. Chicago Bears, wide receiver, Velas Jones in the third, widely mocked, running back Tristan Ebner in the sixth. Biggest winners, it's Darnell Mooney and Cole Komet. But man, Dwayne, I'm just looking at this Bears offense. This looks like the worst offense in the entire league. And I'm not, you know, I'm not hating on fields, but they haven't done him any favors. And it's only year two. Uh, I, I've seen some people just trying to say, like, you know, the Bears are out on Justin Fields and their moves this offseason reflect that. I don't know about that. I mean, you look at the Bills, the second, didn't the Bills draft like Ed Oliver in the first round a year after they got Josh Allen? Like, you can look at some of these, you know, team building strategies, and I don't think you have to necessarily conclude that the organization is out on Justin Fields. My God, doesn't exactly look good, man. I think Fields is the biggest veteran loser. And I just look at Fields and Mooney and Komet, and why are we going to take chances on these guys and an an offense that we're fully expecting to be a bottom five, bottom 10 unit in the league versus guys, maybe, you know, Fields versus Derek Carr and Kirk Cousins. Like, yeah, Fields has the higher upside, 
But damn it, man, that floor is also significantly lower with Mooney. Why do we want Mooney in this atrocious passing game versus the Broncos wide receivers? Gabriel Davis, Mike Williams. Yeah, maybe we're losing a little bit of the target ceiling, but at the same time, it is a new offense. Who's to say Mooney is going to see that same sort of target share when they did put higher draft capital to soon-to-be 25-year-old Vilas Jones? So I, I'm just, more and more I look at this uh, Bears offense, Dwayne. Mooney, Komet, Fields. I just don't want anything to do with it if we can at all help it. Man, I figure you would be all over Mooney just because like he's it. Like so I think you're like you're on you're on to the right thing there. It's um you know, there's a trade-off, right? You you're looking at other offenses where maybe you've got multiple weapons but you feel like the quality of the offense overall is going to be good. So maybe the targets have to be a little bit spread around because you have a lot of guy demanding those looks from the quarterback. But remember, like there's more than one way you know, for this to work out for you. Like technically, it doesn't always mean the ball. I know we preach volume and it's very important, but would you rather be a 27% target share guy on maybe the worst offense in the league? Or would you rather have a 22% target share guy on an offense that could surprise us and be in the top three, you know, with the Broncos? So I think that's the kind of question that you have to ask yourself. I do believe they all belong they're in the tier. They're yeah. just getting there for different reasons. So with Mooney, what you're really hoping for, you're probably not going to get a 10, 12 touchdown upside, like what you could get with a Bronco receiver. But what you could get, you could get, you know, 110 catch season. Like, like that could be in the range and you may score two touchdowns off of that. Um, so it's, uh, but Justin Fields has to do his part too, right? He's got to progress as a passer. Um, and you mentioned all the concerns like Velas Jones. Like, I mean, we talked about it on the pod. Like I, that's like one of the biggest head scratching picks I, I've seen in a long time, especially when you know you need a receiver for this team. I know he's supposed to be fast, but his explosive, it didn't show up in his explosive plays in college. Um, if you look at him over his career, like he, he ranks below the average NCAA player, not just guys that were drafted to the NFL. Like, so great speed is good. And stopwatch is awesome. You know, and what you can do in your underwear, like, okay, fine. But if you can't do it on the field and you can't apply it, if you can't apply your life skills in, like, you know, you're going to, you're going to have a tough time. And so I don't want to be too down on Velas. Look, dude, he's a human being. I hope he ends up being successful. I'm just not counting on it. So with Mooney, I think it's the right question. I'm going to mix all those players up. I'm not going to be just, you know, hammering down, putting all my chips on any one of them. I think in that range, there's different reasons to like these different guys, but with Mooney, Man, 18% targets per route run his first season, up to 22% last year. I mean, dude, that's C.D. Lamb. Like, he's essentially, his underlying data points are as good as C.D. Lamb's. Yards per route run went from 1.20 to 1.72. So the biggest knock on, on Mooney is that he was a fifth-round pick. But I think at this point, two seasons in, we have to say, you know what? He's at least what he is now, and he's only going to be his third season. So there is a chance, like, that he could still take that step forward. So I do think that's something to consider. Um, but it's kind of a Terry McLaurin kind of feel like, could he end up like last year? We knew Terry McLaurin was clearly the best player on Washington, but you had to ride this up and down roller coaster all season because the opposing teams knew that. And it was a bad offense. What are we doing with fields, man? I, I know four of his last five starts, he was giving us a nice little top 12, you know, QB fantasy finish. But let's remember those first four or five starts completely unplayable. Like we did see a pretty terrible floor from Fields in these games where he was only running the ball three or so times, picked it up towards the end of the year. Dwayne, as someone that's watched every one of Fields' games, you know, going back to Ohio State, yeah, he's explosive as hell with the ball. What are you running four, five, two, forty or something? Like he he's a great rusher and everything. I don't think he's in that Jalen Hurts like tier in terms of like usage though. I don't I think he is a quarterback first and foremost that will run when needed to. I just want cause look, last year, like one of the mistakes I made, and I think in general, sometimes 
I push the Russian quarterbacks almost maybe too high and ignore someone like a Tom Brady who, no, they don't run, but he could lead the freaking league in passing yards and touchdowns. Why go Justin Fields over Kirk Cousins or Derek Carr who have that chance? Yeah, I think the best answer is try to pair two guys like that. I still think Justin Fields is a buy because of the upside that he can bring you through that rushing, you know, ability. And, you know, just looking at it, you're right. He's not quite at that. The biggest difference for Justin Fields. Now we do have a new offensive coordinator. We got a new head coach um, in Chicago. So we can see this change a little bit, but his design rushing attempts only 6%, um, you know, of the, of the plays. So that that's too low. Like that needs to be at like 15% to really give him that upside you want. And we could see that like they, they are changing, um, you know, the head coaching, um, the head coaches, like we said, but the scramble rate is at 13% and that's good. So like he is scrambling enough, like, you know, that's one of the better marks in the league. So, you know, you're going to get some points off of that. Um, the biggest thing for fields, like, man, just the sack rate, 10%, well above the league average, like he's got to be able to get rid of the ball more. And that's my biggest concern with fields. It's not his accuracy. It's not, you know, his ability, you know, just to handle the game overall. But, man, if he cannot get out of taking so many sacks, holding the ball so long, man, you've, you've seen the analytics on it, you know, EPA per play. It's almost as bad as a pick when you take a sack. Like, it's a, it kills most drives. You typically don't come out of it. And guess what? Whenever you've got um, Cole Komet and Darnell Mooney is mainly, is pretty much your whole offense, and you're facing third and 13 because you just took a sack, you're probably not converting it. So, that's the challenge for Fields, that it's, and that what that does, that leads to trailing game scripts. You're turning the ball over, and then all of a sudden, the defense knows exactly what you're going to be doing. And if you're a young quarterback that's holding on to the ball too long, you don't want a defense knowing that. Like that's the worst thing ever. The best thing they can do for Fields is come out and really try to get the run game going and stay in these games where the opposing team. And I know we're not supposed to say that. We, we should never say that because we work at PFF. But like that's what Fields needs. He needs something <laughs> where at least for some portion of the game, the opposing team does not know what's coming at them and let let that element of surprise right work to his advantage so i still think he belongs in the tier that he's that he's in and i know we'll talk about san francisco in a minute but to your point like trey lance has so much more upside if he takes over his job like look at his look at look at the scheme number one we know kyle shanahan can do it we've seen him do it with rg3 in the past and then when you look at george kittle you look at brandon Ayuk, assuming that they're going to get to keep debo samuel now that we've made it past the draft like man it's just no comparison and the type of offense, like the quality of offense that Trey Lance is going to get to play in besides Justin Fields. So I think now, even though that's all a tier together, you need to clearly consider Justin Fields below Trey Lance. My hope was he got another nice weapon where we could be like, okay, these kind of do, these two guys might be interchangeable. Not that we could have gotten there because the three guys I just named for the 49ers are so good, but it's almost like they almost need like a tier within the tier kind of thing, right? It's like Trey Lance and then you have Justin Fields. Yeah, I, at this point, I don't think you can make an argument for Fields over Lance, unless, of course, Jimmy G decides to do Jimmy G things and start football games and win most of them, despite you know, <laughs> people like us barking about it and having too big of an issue. Detroit Lions, Jameson Williams, obviously, explosive wide receiver out of Alabama, formerly Ohio State, with the 12th overall pick in the draft. And then tight end James Mitchell, round five. Not going to do much because Hawkinson's there, but I would note that uh, you know James Mitchell was someone in the PFF draft guide Mike Renner noted was almost like forgotten about, but this is a legit, really talented receiving tight end who only played two games in 2021 before, I believe, tearing an ACL. So yeah, round five, but it sounds like he might, could have been a day two guy with a little bit better injury luck. Regardless, though, it's Hawkinson's you know job. I'm not trying to say that's uh, going to change. Biggest winner? 
probably Goff, again, not someone that we're interested in fantasy. We never were, but Goff, Drew Locke, and Davis Mills were quarterbacks where we kind of expected their team to take a quarterback, and they didn't. So by default, he is a winner for that. The Amon Ra Brown question. One of my, a new bit I'm getting going on Twitter, uh, Dwayne, which I, I appreciate. I hope, I hope everyone else does. But every wide receiver transaction is just good news for Amon Ra St. Brown. You know, the Chiefs signing Justin Ross, that's good news for Amon Ra St. Brown. You know, DJ Chark, that was good news for Amon Ra. Jameson Williams was good news for Amon Ra. Where are we going to draw a line here? Because I do look at Amon Ra, and we've talked at length about how good he was and his great PFF grade and all that. But let's face it, Jamison Williams is projected to be the number one. He got picked 12th overall to be the number one in this offense. I'm not saying Amon Ra can't do good things as a number two. You know, when, he, when this uh, draft pick happened on our podcast uh, after the first round, uh, I went through Cooper Cup, Robert Woods. Like, Jared Goff has experience enabling multiple top 24 wide receivers, and he's done it, you know, several different years along the way. So he can do that. I just, again, it goes back to Dwayne, like Amon Ra versus Mike Williams versus the Denver guys. In that wide in the low end wide receiver two, wide receiver three range, do we really want to take someone like Amonra in a worse offense when the targets probably aren't all that different? Yeah, I'm still gonna be taking him because everything's good for Amonra, like you said. No. Um, here's the way I'm looking at this offense. Um, it's just the fact that look, what he did truly is elite. Like the, the PFF rookie grade that he got to. So it's like if we're a believer in talent, like, and I do think Amonra St. Brown has it, like it's just hard to not like him. And we already talked about this. Like he was a guy that I was basically saying, look, the lions are really, they have a really good chance because of all the draft capital they have of taking a receiver in the first round. So it was already semi baked into the way I was thinking about St. Brown. And really, you know, the advice we gave folks was look, when he slides in your drafts right now, before the NFL draft, feel free take him. But if he's going at ADP or he's going before don't not because you don't like him, but because, the Lions have a good shot of adding a receiver, and then he's going to slip some. So we really need to see where does Amon Ross St. Brown slip to. I think wide receiver three is still the appropriate range to rank him in. I don't see any way to get him outside of my top 36, you know, right now. I mean, That's maybe fair. you could get close to being borderline. Um, so as long as his ADP lines back up with that, then I love it because I'm, I'm expecting him to give me a wide receiver three performance. If by some chance he's just some superstar beast like some of these underlying metrics mean and it doesn't matter who else lines up with him like he could still be elite then you know he still gives you upside the key is if, if adp does it's going to move but if adp were to not move and he was to stay where he's going right now then it becomes a little bit less you know appealing to take amon ross st brown i just want to be really clear though like and i agree with this like if you really like a player and and you believe there are really good reasons for why you like them based on historical data trends and things like that and then the team takes another player and that's enough just to push you completely off of them. Like you probably really weren't on that player to begin with. Yeah. So with me for Amon Ra, like I'm going to be much more, um, I'm going to be much more firm with him just because so many signs point <laughs> to the fact that, you know, he could really be an elite player. And so let's just hope like he gets pushed down to where he's like wide receiver 36 or later than that would be great if people want to get super hyped around Jameis. If we get news in July that Jameson is good to go, training camp 100%, who are you ranking higher, Jameson or Amonra? Uh, Amonra. I mean, he's still going to be a gonna be close. They're going to be really close, though. 
yeah, it's still going to be a rookie coming in. Uh, Jamison Williams, you know, we would assume also is going to have to work outside more down the field, which Jared Goff, you know, hasn't necessarily supported as well. Like if you look at the roles, Jared Goff supports the best, right? It's those intermediate routes working the middle of the field. And so that's the other thing. I think Amon Ross St. Brown is still going to be getting those. And I think you can see some big plays come from Jamison Williams, um, you know, over the top, you know, or run after the catch kind of the stuff from the outside. The beauty is they're going to be playing total opposite of each other. The bigger battle Amon Ross St. Brown has is really where is TJ Hawkinson in all this? Like Swift. Because because yeah. those those two are going to be really battling it out for, for targets in a similar area of the field. And like the negative on Amon Ross, plenty of people pointed it out, is look, that production did not come until TJ Hawkinson was hurt. And that's true. But at the same time, the way I look at it is, you know what? There's been a lot of players get hurt um, in NFL seasons. And the guy that steps in, and gets a bigger role, he can't demand 30% of the targets every week. So it, it's kind of, you got to take both sides of it. Do we think Amon Ross and Brown's going to see a 30% target share? Hell no, we don't think that. But could he, could he still get 24, 25% and give you spike weeks? I think that's still there. Where does Josh Reynolds? No, I'm just kidding. All right, NFC South, <laughs> let's move on. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, yeah. Rashad White in the third round. Talked about this with Dwayne already. We're not necessarily expecting Rashad White to completely, you know, soak up the pass down role from Leonard Fournette or even be someone threatening for overly threatening Fournette. I mean, they gave Fournette 20 plus million dollars to stay there over the next three years. It's going to be a hard contract to get out until at least the year after next. Uh, So Rashad White, if anything, more of a Rojo replacement. And I think uh, someone that we should be looking at as a top potential handcuff because Giovanni Bernard would not be just soaking up everything if Fournette got hurt. Also got tight end Cade Otten in the fourth round, tight end Co Keeft in the sixth round. Uh, yeah, I think the biggest veteran winner here, Dwayne, is Russell Gage. I mean, we saw Tampa, Brady, or I forget who was flirting. I think it was Brady actually putting it out there about Julio Jones potentially. Maybe that was just a report. But we had heard them talking a little bit about some of these receivers. But ultimately, the only addition was Russell Gage. And this was not insignificant. Three years, $30 million. This was not James Washington going to the Cowboys on a $1 million deal. $30 million for three years is significant. And now Russell Gage is going to be Tom Brady's number three wide receiver inside the league's most pass-heavy offense. Like, Dwayne, we I'm still on Team Gronk's going to play. I will say the Buccaneers taking two tight ends. Small sign? Maybe he's not. So... There is a chance that Gronk doesn't play. That would help Russell Gage. And we don't have no idea how Chris Godwin's recovery is going to go along. He already got the bag. If anything, I think it makes sense to, you know, ease him back. You don't need him, you know, for September. You want him for, obviously, January and February. So there's a chance for Russell Gage that wide receiver three in this offense, season long, man, he's going to be a tough guy to keep out of the top 36, top 40. He'll be like a Tyler Boyd type, someone that, no, you're not just leaning on every single week, but... My God, Dwayne, if he's going to keep that wide receiver five or six ADP he had before the draft, Russell Gage is someone that we're just circling and taking like round 11 every single time. Yeah, I mean, the things you just mentioned are like the things that could unlock for Russell Gage, like beyond just spike week potential. Um, you know, if Gronk does not come back, like he's going to be a top three option in the offense. And then you also have Godwin still recovering. And he's really good against man coverage. Um, so I think he's a guy that whether you're playing zone, man, doesn't matter. Brady's going to know that he can trust him. And we've seen what Brady does with players that he can trust. Similarly, what, what Drew Brees has done back in the day with guys that you're like, who the, who hell, who the hell is Lance Moore? I don't know, but Drew Brees likes him. You know, so I think it's going to be that kind of a situation. Um, I'm with you. I still think that Gronkowski, you know, is going to come back. 
And I was just pulling up some handy-dandy ADP from Fantasy Mojo because we actually now have redraft. We have the FFPC Football Guys Players Championship has kicked off. We've got 12 drafts that are almost in the book since the NFL draft was over. So we've got this new data. Dude, Leonard Fournette, mid-second. Wow. As he should be. Yeah, but see, that's where I don't like it as much. Like, I love getting Lenny in the third. Of course you did. But when when we got to take him in the mid-second, now I got to put him up against Tyreek Hill. I got to put him up against CeeDee Lamb. I got to take him against Alvin Kamara. I got to take him, you know, against some of these other guys. So, like, it'll be interesting to see. And Javante, man, still not budging. Early round two. Round round two, pick two for Javante Williams. I know we're on the Broncos now, so I won't won't go – I won't keep going. But I was actually looking for – where do I see him? I don't even see, um, you know, our boy Russell Gage right now. Oh, round ten. So round ten is where he's going Love right it. now. Thank you, Fantasy Mojo. Can you see where he's going? Like where, where is he specifically among receivers? Can you see that? Yeah. So he's going. You got Christian Kirk going right after him. Chris Olave, Christian Watson, Garrett Wilson, and Alan Lazard were all the picks right in front of him. The other pick after him was Sky Moore. Dude, I am loving that. Jamison Williams. Garrett Wilson, Christian Watson, Chris Olave, Russell Gage, Christian Kirk, Sky Moore, all I left out Alan Lazard for a reason. They're all going in round 10. I like Alan Lazard, Alan Lazard, but you should take him after everybody we just named um, because I think we've kind of seen what he can be. I'm fine with taking Lazard, but I think it's too big of a leap to really think that he's going to take this big step forward. So, yeah, right around where he's going. Um, and we can call out some more of these as we go. Kadarius still going round nine. People are stubborn, but that's better. Like it was round six. So, like, that's that's getting a little better. Superhero RB, liking it more and more. Shout out four for four is TJ Hernandez. We got to give TJ like another two weeks of giving him credit for that name and then just run with it, man. I love TJ, but <laughs> I'm not, not going to say his damn name. Well, the problem is we have with too many of these. We've got superhero. We've got hero. We've got zero. We've got anchor. You Entire, know, like, all right, all of modified. life. No, all, all of life is either zero RB or modified zero RB. Like those are... You know, if a, if a girl rejects you for the dance, like that's probably modified zero RB and you're just My like, favorite is anytime someone says zero RB and I swear like people just have it on search and they look at someone's draft. This isn't a real zero RB draft, man. This is not, you can't even claim this. And the guy's like, well, I didn't take a risk. I didn't take a running back in the first four rounds. That doesn't count. That doesn't meet all the criteria. It's just funny watching people. Go, and it is true, like what they're saying, but it's funny how like bent people get about it. Like they get pissed off like that someone's got the definition on it. Some people have some damn fun. And you know what? You can't make everybody better, guys. Like, we're trying to make everybody that's listening to this better. But we need some people that suck out there so we kick their ass in fantasy. Uh, so I, I was like on Twitter and someone just posted their like random fantasy football team and they had, you know, a bunch of high running backs. So I was like, Oh, I love your modified zero RB approach. And they gave me some like, you know, earnest answer back about like why it wasn't. And I was just like, okay, like moving on <laughs> new Orleans saints, only one skill position player, the entire draft. Obviously that was Chris Olave with the 11th overall pick biggest winner. Maybe Jameis. We need to see what they're going to do in this offense because it's kind of funny, you know, we're talking about how run first the Eagles offense is and kind of keeping that bright mind. The Saints with Jameis under center were the single most run heavy offense in the league last year um, in situation neutral uh, situations. So how many times can I say situation in one you sentence? You could do it more. You could do it more and work on it. I want to hear more. <laughs> <laughs> so with Jameis, I mean, look, you add a first round wide receiver to the group. That's great. I still don't know that he's going to have this sort of volume to really get behind. That was the big thing, Dwayne, last year when I looked at Jameis versus Taysom Hill and it was like even in Jameis's best year, 2019, when you know Bruce Arians, the leash was freaking you know hundreds of miles long. 
Jameis still only finished, I think, is like the QB8 in fantasy points per game. He doesn't run. So if he's not even having pass volume either, it's just tougher for him to even have enough like dropbacks to put up uh, more than the sporadic big game or two. So if I had to say anything, man, probably Michael Thomas is the bigger loser. You weren't overly high on Michael Thomas. I think you had him in the wide receiver three range before the draft. I actually had him more as a low-end wide receiver too. But I'm going to have to get a little bit more on your side here because let's face it, that year where Michael Thomas was just, you know, broke the receptions record, the number two wide receiver was old man Ted Ginn, who had a great NFL career. Good, whatever. It's never elite, but you play in the NFL for 15 years, you must have been doing something right. But it was Ted Ginn. Having Chris Olave, the 11th overall pick there, is going to eat into whatever target share Thomas has in a new offense with a new quarterback. So, Dwayne, looking at the Saints, is anyone in this offense really popping out to you? Chris Olave in that range you were talking about, I'm fine with, but I don't want to reach on Michael Thomas. We still got to worry about Alvin Kamara and these ongoing legal proceedings. It seems like Mark Ingram's going to be the RB2 um, again. We're not doing the Adam Troutman thing again. The Saints seem like maybe a better real-life team than fantasy squad at this point. Yeah, and I think we don't even know for sure they're going to be a real-life a good real life team. But you know, you got, a diff, you got a former defensive coordinator that's now your head coach. The Saints, to your point, had already shown they wanted to be more conservative. We've got Pete Carmichael coming in to call the offense. He's already been there. He was under Sean Payton. So I think what we're going to see is them really try to be a similar team. They're going to want to keep games as close as they can. They're going to want to play defense. I don't think they want Jameis screwing up. Um, and the problem with Jameis, like career, like sack rates per dropback, way too high. And yeah. too many of his dropbacks get converted into sacks whenever they really shouldn't. So he owns a lot of that. The other thing with Winston is the turnover rate. So two things that you have to manage because if either of those go wrong, like let's face it, the Saints are going to be operating on pretty thin margins as far as really trying to be a winning team. The bonuses that they get is they're going to get to play the Panthers. They're going to get to play the Falcons two times a year, two times each this year. But the Bucs, you know, are obviously the favorites to win the division, but they could try to sneak into the playoffs if they play it a little more close to the vest. I think that's going to be the style they're going to want to play. The one thing I would say with Jameis is by adding Olave. You do get Michael Thomas back this year. They had neither one of those players last year. I think in certain game scripts where it's already kind of out of the gate and they're looking down at their sheet and they're saying, well, like we can't win this game anyway unless we just cut Jameis loose. So I think you're going to get some games like that with Winston that we didn't see last year because he's actually going to have some weapons around him that maybe can make that go. Um, but I think the plan will be let's come out and try to win games in these other ways. And then when we have to, we'll start to throw the ball. Michael Thomas. Like this fifth, fifth round right now for Thomas. Oh no! Yeah, I mean, so I'm taking got, those, I'm taking both. I'm taking Judy and Sutton over Thomas every day of the week. Yeah, and you've got right probably now, even like Gabriel Davis and some of these guys. Man, there's just yeah, a, Waddle, there's a lot of Waddle, red flags for Michael Thomas. Yeah, Waddle slipping you know into round four, but yeah, you. So here are the guys that are going right around uh, Michael Thomas. So you got DJ Moore right in front of him, Jerry Judy right in front of him, then Chris Godwin, then you get Michael Thomas, then Amari Cooper, Darnell Mooney, Elijah Moore. Allen Robinson, Amon Ross St. Brown, and Cortland Sutton. So uh, a lot of the guys we've talked about, plus the two Denver Broncos that you just named, both going in that same round with Michael Thomas. The Saints traded up for Olave, right? Yeah. Yeah. Did you see Austin Gill's tweet? Like they basically <laughs> oh, traded right. away, like they traded away like uh three late day picks, a first and a second to move up and get Chris Olave. I mean he Which could we be... love Olave, but I mean of course. That's a lot. It is a lot, but Olave could lead this team in targets. That's very possible. Like it's been a while since Michael Thomas has been there. Love my Buckeyes, but yeah, I will not be. Uh, Love know, round ten, man. Love round ten on Olave. Round ten, Olave. That's that's the motto of our year. Atlanta Falcons, Drake London. 
round one overall pick eight. Fun fact, fun fact, Dwayne. Look at all the starting wide receivers in the NFL. Every single team's one-two punch. Drake London and Auden Tate are the tallest combined duo. Nobody can ever take that away from them. Quarterback, Desmond Ritter, round three. Running back out of BYU, Tyler Algier in round five. And tight end, John Fitzpatrick in round six. So also had Mike Davis get released today, meaning Dwayne, the biggest winner is going to be none other than Cordero Patterson himself. Yes, they brought in Damian Williams, but this whole CPAT second half thing, I went ahead and I, I love having the summer months to like actually find answers to a lot of the questions that people just don't ever look up for themselves for whatever reason, but we just kind of hold against fantasy guys. And the thing with Cordero Patterson, everyone loved him the first half of the year. Why wouldn't you? Weeks one through nine, overall PPR, RB7, behind only Derrick Henry, Jonathan Taylor, Austin Eckler, Najee Harris, Joe Mixon, and, Kam and Alvin Kamara. That was the world we were living in. First nine weeks of the year, Cordero Patterson was the RB7. What happened after that? He sprains his ankle against the Cowboys. He comes back two weeks later, weeks 12 through 18. He slips down and works as the PPR RB20 the rest of the way. RB20 the rest of the way, and now he's not going as like a top 35 running back? His floor has been reinvented during this offseason. The Falcons recommitted to him on a multi-year deal. I believe he's fetching $10 million or more than that overall. They get rid of Mike Davis, only bring in another 30, soon-to-be 30-year-old in Damian Williams, and then we just only devote a fifth-round draft capital of Tyler Algier. Like, Cordero Patterson is going to be the focal point of this offense, and he's one of the cheapest like available starting running backs in all fantasy football. Like, CPAT Chase Edmonds with the Dolphins and whoever's going to kind of emerge in Houston are the three single cheapest running backs in fantasy football land in terms of ADP. And we just got a full season's worth of showing how CPAT at his best, he is, has a legit RB1 ceiling. We saw that for nine weeks. That is a true ceiling that's in his range of outcomes. And even at his worst, when he wasn't playing well, he was still getting enough touches to work as a low-end RB2. So Cordero Patterson, Dwayne, if he's going to be there in round six or seven or so and you find yourself only ha only having taken one running back, awesome addition. Yeah, he was going in round eight and nine. Now he's going in round seven. Tyler Algier is now going in round 13, which you used to be able to basically just get at the end of a draft. And I think that's about right. Like, I love Tyler Algier if I can get him in, like, round 12 or 13, you know, just because we know there is a clear path to volume for him there to play, you know, really the early down role. Patterson is obviously the guy that you want because we know he's explosive and he catches passes out of the backfield and they still don't have a lot of receivers. So there's just a lot of paths for Corderell Patterson to be on the field and be a key contributor for the Falcons offense. And you mentioned it, um, you know, what it looked like over those games before he got the high ankle sprain. So, yeah, I'm all in, you know, on Patterson. Um, I mean, obviously the age scares us a little bit, so I'm not going to be like too too overweight. But again, I think it uh, he's a great guy to have in your back pocket when you're thinking about, you know, for some reason the way a draft works out just right. You've only got one running back and you're heading into round seven, eight, nine. You could immediately peel off, okay, I'm just going to take Corderell Patterson. You know, I could take me a Tony Pollard. You know, then I could grab me, you know, a James Cook or an Alexander Madison. Like there's a lot of ways that you can approach um making up for only having one running back whenever you get to round seven and, and Cordell Patterson, obviously at the top, one of the people at the top of that list. Carolina Panthers only offensive draft pick of note was Matt Corral in round three. Obviously not good news for Sam Darnold. I would give Darnold the favorite, you know, make him the betting favorite to start week one, start a majority of the games. But again, if you're going to be taking, you know, if you need your QB three in best ball, guys like Drew Locke, Davis Mills, and Jared Goff are better than, you know, Sam Darnold and Marcus Mariota because of their newfound, you know, day two quarterback competition. So 
anything, Dwayne? Robbie Anderson, the biggest winner. I know we have trade rumors everywhere. I know what happened. Like we all heard your scoffers there, Dwayne. Some people are just out on Robbie Anderson. It's like no it's conversation. It's not him. It's just it's just like can we support maybe two weapons, not like the third or fourth. Like I'm worried about DJ Moore. <laughs> like can yes. we even get enough? Can we get enough for DJ Moore? Can we get enough for you know McCaffrey? Should be the, the targets are close to the line of scrimmage, you know, so you should be able to find a way to get to be insulated. But like just the offense scares, scares him to death. Ben McAdoo, new play caller. Robbie Anderson has 246 targets over the last two seasons. 2021 was bad. He was a top 20 PPR wide receiver in the year 2020, Dwayne. And yeah, weird year. I know it's 2020. It feels like that was five years ago, but in reality, it was only two. I just wonder about Robbie, man, because the trade rumors are out there, but that's probably going to help him. He is free. Like, where, where's he going? Is he even yeah, being round drafted? 18. Round, round 18. 18. Like, yeah, he's a great player to take in round 18. That's my point. Now, you know, this is one of those things. <laughs> Ian's like, I didn't know where he was going, but that's my point. <laughs> <laughs> he's free. That's my point. Uh, no, but like, this he's is one free. of those things where if I get, you know, this PFF social team, love you guys, but if they quote tweet, if they quote tweet me and they're like, oh yeah, Robbie Anderson, <laughs> Robbie Anderson's a great value. It's like, yes, he is in round 18. Robbie Anderson was someone that last year being priced as like what a wide receiver three or something. Mm-hmm. So no, we, we don't need to assume 2022 is going to be like 2021. Not saying it's going to be 2020, but the dude is literally free and a trade would probably only help his value at this point. Like if he goes to Dallas or somewhere like that, all of a sudden, I'm not saying it'd be going round five, but he wouldn't be Imagine going if he landed round in Green 18. Bay. Yeah. Like if he landed in Green Bay, people probably, he would probably immediately become the one. Yes. So Robbie Anderson, he's free. That's, do you have anything else to say about the Panthers? Nope. Nope. Cool. Nope. <laughs> NFC West, we got four more squads to go through. Los Angeles Rams. Kyron Williams running back in the fifth round. Usually don't care that much about day three backs. But this one is a little bit interesting to me, Dwayne, because Cam Akers is someone that some people, he's an RB1. They're expecting him to get that Todd Gurley role. Others, you know, I think including us are a little bit more hesitant on assuming he's going to get that. Kyron Williams was being called, I think, the most willing pass protector in the entire class. He caught a lot of passes at Notre Dame. He, he's only 194 pounds, I believe. He is your prototypical scat back. Are we sure we're not going to see Cam Akers, Daryl Henderson, and Kyron Williams involved on a weekly basis? That's kind of what we saw in the Super Bowl. Cam Akers should lead the way, but I'm thinking he leads the way a little bit more with a 60% snap rate as opposed to that 80 or 90% role that, to be fair, he was carrying for a little bit. Henderson and Sony Michelle each separately had it for pieces. Sean McVay is a, st- a smart guy, though, Dwayne. If there's been one constant in this Los Angeles Rams backfield for the better part of the last four years, it's that it's a pretty replaceable position, and guys are breaking down when he uses them too much. What are your overall thoughts on Acres, and are you willing to take him in the top three rounds of drafts where you're probably going to have to? Yeah, I mean, right now he's going pick 15. I've got him ranked 18. Overall? Yeah. No, sorry. Um, that's running back. Not overall. Oh. Jeez. No, so, sorry. Yeah. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. No, no. RB 15. Whew. Okay. okay. Um, so yeah, okay. with acres and I've got him at RB 18. So, I mean, it's close. Um, you, you know, I do think like I toyed with like which tier to put him in. So like, I've got two tiers, two tiers right next to each other. One is near every down potential at a discount. And the next one was an upside uh, committee lead. And so really like I was torn, like which one does he go in? Yeah. Um, so for now I had him in the near every down potential just because we've seen him be used that way. But again, the key word being potential. 
And I probably, honestly, I need to put him in the next one down. I need to put him in the upside committee lead because we know the Rams is a good offense. That's where his upside is going to come from. But most likely, he's going to be leading some form of a committee. But he will be the leader in it, right? 50, 55% of it. You know, maybe he gets to 60%. But the tier above it, which would now only have one player near every down potential at a discount, meaning discount in your draft, is David Montgomery. Montgomery, I would say right now, is a guy that we probably feel a lot better about, you know, approaching 75%, you know, 70% of the work versus where we are with Cam Akers. Not that we might not change our mind on Akers based on the news and things we start to hear as camp gets going and as we're, we get closer to the season, like Akers could, could very easily, you know, land in that bucket. But who are we fooling? Like every year, I feel like we're trying to chase down these breadcrumbs from Sean McVay about who's going to be the lead back, who's not going to be. And I'm not sure like how good we really are at being able to decipher all that information. Biggest winner? Probably Allen Robinson, man. To have Robert Woods get traded, to have Odo Beckham still not be re-signed. I mean, they didn't add a single wide receiver. Right now, it's looking like Cooper Cup, obviously. Hey, if Cooper Cup has 210 targets next year, no one's going to be surprised. But the fact that A-Rob is now standing out as the undisputed number two, I am not worried about Van Jefferson or 2-2 Atwell. Allen Robinson, Dwayne, like this is, I think, the this, and we kind of said this a little before about Mooney, but I'm almost more inclined to take someone like an Allen Robinson, like a Gabriel Davis, a wide receiver that we still know has that upside, but give me the Rams passing game. Give me the Bills passing game instead of just trying to hope that someone like a Brandon Cooks, like a Darnell Mooney can make the most out of a pretty bad situation. Am I wrong? No, I mean, they're going right next to each other. So again, it's 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 which which thing do you care about more? Yeah. They're both in a similar tier or right next to each other, but for different reasons. One is a better offense, probably not going to see, you know, doesn't have the upside for as much of a target volume or target share anyway. Um, whereas the other one, you know, is just going to be much more likely to be able to score more touchdowns and do those things. The biggest thing you're buying into or figuring out and deciphering with Allen Robinson is do you think last year was really just injury related? I don't know if you have it handy where you can pull it up on, uh, you know, draft sharks, but with Robinson, it wasn't just that he got shut down for the year. Like he was battling injuries as well. And so like, this is a player, man, that, you know, his targets per route run in 2019 was 24%, 2020, it was 25%. And last year it didn't, I mean, it cratered to 18%, and 18% is still better than a lot of people in the league. Like 18% is still better uh, than Alan Lazard. But at the same time, like, you're kind of wondering, like, is Alan Robinson nearing a cliff? You know, he's 29 years old, doesn't necessarily always happen at that age, but he's in the range where it could start to happen. Um, or was it really just, you know, the guy was playing injured even when he was out there last season, and we really could expect more of a 24, 25% target per route run. And what would happen in that scenario is it's essentially going to be Cooper Cup and Allen Robinson. If that happens, there's not going to be a lot of room left for the Higbees, the other guys of the world. But I think the Rams are fine with that. We've seen that in the past. Um, we've seen them be willing. They, we've seen them spread it across three guys, but we've also seen them be willing to spread it across two. And right now, that's kind of where I would put my chip. We don't know what's going to happen with Odell Beckham Jr. Are they going to do something else there? We'll have to wait and see. But to your point, I'm really not that worried about Van Jefferson. Not a player that you know I totally want to avoid. I would like to have some exposure to him in drafts. But really, right now, they're just using him as a lid lifter, right? Just a guy they want to send down the field. Yeah, he's going to give you a few big plays. Probably come through some weeks in DFS, right? Turn two of those catches into 100 yards and two touchdowns. Like, that's in the range of outcomes for Van Jefferson. But based on what we've seen so far from a coaching staff that's been in charge of the way he's getting utilized, he is not getting used in the same ranges of the field where we see Allen Robinson typically operate in his past, Robert Woods last year where he was at, and then where Cooper Cup's getting to operate. They are operating in the areas where they're much more likely to be targeted at a high rate by Matthew Stafford. 
Have you been following uh, OBJ on Twitter lately? Just completely. No. Dude, he's just fucking with uh, Devo Samuel like every other day. He said breaking news. Devo's going to Patriots. Rap Sheet and Tom Pelissero like, no, this is not true. Devo's like, <laughs> Devo's like, this guy's got way too much time on his hands. And then he says, OBJ apologizes, says he loves Devo. Giving him hell problem, causing more problems. Like, can you just pick a team, man? Like, what? what's the hold up here? I'm, I'm just confused. Like. It's the medicals, I'm guessing. That and, and 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 he's probably being selective. He doesn't want to play for a crappy team. Yeah. He get he got a he got a taste last year, you know, and so I think he wants to he's ready to probably win at this point in his career. If we find out that OBJ is going I you know, Girl Scout shows up, I would say OBJ is going back to the Rams still. If that I would that, still say that too. That would be yeah. my guess. So if he does come back and we don't know with the injury, but let's say we're expecting OBJ to be back relatively healthy by at least halfway through the season. Are we yeah, November, I think, was what everything I've read, you would using his previous timelines from recovery, which isn't a perfect science, right? Because every every one of these surgeries could be different. Yeah. Um, so I don't know how accurate that is, but using that information, it's like mid-November before it's we not, see OBJ. Yeah. So either way, like even if OBJ does resign with the Rams, we're not going to be dropping Allen Robinson like down a tier or anything. Maybe we're just prioritizing one of those guys going around him a little bit more. Yeah, and you know what? At that point, it's honestly like if you really feel that strongly about Robinson, it's like, you know, he could also by then just have totally carved out his role yep. and even a recovering OBJ. Because even once OBJ gets back on the field, that doesn't mean he's old OBJ, right? He's still got to go through a progression of playing so many yeah. games to be ready. So I think you're going to get most of the fantasy season, you know, maybe not the NFL playoffs, but most of the fantasy season, you're going to see Allen Robinson firmly entrenched as the two. Arizona Cardinals. Tight end Trey McBride, round two. Running back Keontae Ingram, round six. And Marquise Hollywood Brown, they decided to acquire from the Baltimore Ravens. Obviously, as we said at the top of the show, DeAndre Hopkins has been suspended for the first six weeks of the season. So this is interesting, Dwayne. I don't care about Keontae Ingram. He's a six-round pick. There's going to be some stands out there. There's still Eno Benjamin stands out there for some reason. And I think Ingram is there. To compete with Eno Benjamin as the clear-cut backup. But James Conner should be out there. Maybe he's not going to play 90% of the snaps like he actually was for a week or two. But this is still a 70-80% lead back. Someone that's going to have the volume to warrant legitimate RB1 upside. You talked about it. He's right there in the tier with Fournette and James Conner. I understand if there's you know a sick Tyreek Hill-type wide receiver there that you would rather take. But you're just going to be very hard-pressed making your projections, doing your volume stuff. You're going to... Like, good luck ranking 12 running backs ahead of James Conner, other than having your reasoning being like he's going to get hurt. So we'll see. I'm going to talk to uh, Dr. Edwin Porras from Fantasy Points on Wednesday on his podcast. I'll get him on this one uh, throughout the summer, and you know, we'll actually get a doctor talking to us about you know what the true injury risk is. But with that aside, if we're not assuming it's any higher for Conner than other people, again, you're going to be hard-pressed to rank him any lower. Now, Let's talk Connor about did, Connor did Connor did move up, so now yeah. he's sitting um, round three, pick eight at this point. So uh, and Antonio Gibson, you know, is behind him. Uh, Cam Akers is behind him, so he's definitely moving. But man, I still love him at that pick. He what you were getting him at round four, pick five, like, and we thank God, like we got to go ahead and do a few of those drafts. That was nice. That was fun. Um, but so that's over. But still in the third round, like now the challenge you're going to have is you're going to be looking at him versus Keenan Allen versus T Higgins. Um, AJ Brown is kind of slipping down boards. So that's, that's going to be the question. 
do you want to go with one of those receivers? Do you want to go with James Conner? But I'm, I'm with you. Like, it's really hard. And I know we want to be careful with any player that we're just projecting their volume because there's all this availability. But the thing is with James Conner, we've seen him do it in the past. Like, that's what kind of irks me about that argument. You know, people are like, oh, like, don't compare James Conner to Mike Davis last year and what the industry did. No. Which, by the way, we didn't do. We did not push Mike Davis up. Well, Mike Davis moved up because he has badass quads. Let's be, a, let's be real. <laughs> like, it's quads picture. Uh, it's kind of like uh, A.J. Dillon and the calf picture the year before. But with James Conner, man, last year when he was out there for 75% of the snaps, RB1, RB18, RB7, RB12, RB2, RB1. Like, the guy can do it. He's done it in the past in Pittsburgh. Has he battled injuries? Yes, he has. So I think it'll be really good to hear, you know, from an injury expert based on the history of injuries with James Conner. Like, what are we looking at? Like, and he's one of those players, Ian, you know, when you watch him, he takes on a lot of contact. He's not hyper elusive. You know, he takes a lot of hard hits, but he delivers a lot of hard blows. And we've, we've seen players like that in the past. They have, you know, I don't have any data sitting here in front of me, you know, but it's like there is this little, I feel like there is a higher risk of injury based on the style of football that you play. And James Conner definitely plays a brand, you know, and he's good at it. He's good at playing that brand, but it definitely puts him, you know, at some exposure for risk. But I'm with you on Keontae Ingram. What I will say on Ingram, man, love him in a 20-team type format. You're not 20-team, 12-team, 20-round draft love Keontae Ingram as one of those late round picks. You know, you and I at some point will probably do a pod just on like handcuffs, right? You've got the, 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 the elite handcuffs, right? We know this is very clear cut. This guy goes down. These guys are locked in. Then you're going to have a tier below that where there's that high confidence. And then one tier below that, like, you know, we may not know for sure right now, but the way this, this depth chart looks, like it looks really like it could be Keontae Ingram's like he's going to be in that. So he'll be a player that, especially right now, like I don't even know where he's going. I don't even see him on this board. But man, if you can take him around 17, 18, 19, 20, definitely going to be a great player to stash this season um, behind James Conner. It reminds me of Chuba Hubbard a little bit last year. Yeah. Where I understand it didn't work out perfectly when he got out there. He really underwhelmed, but they were giving him a ton of opportunity to start that. And to your point, like the Tony Pollard's, the Alexander Madison's, like there's a tier for them. And then you have these other handcuffed running backs that people just aren't really seeing the same vision with that are going rounds later. Yeah. And like the way I think about it, AJ Dillon and Tony Pollard are kind of in a tier of their own because especially in best ball, a little, a little less in redraft because you still have to choose when to start them. But in best ball, you know, you're going to get spike weeks from Pollard and AJ Dillon on their own, even when their starters are playing. Right. Mm -hmm. And so in best ball, that's nice because I don't have to pick which weeks those are going to be. And then if for some reason Aaron Jones goes down, Ezekiel Elliott goes down, or they just carve out more of a role. Now you've got a player that's even contributing more. Whereas some of these other guys, once you get past it, you get to Alexander Madison, like he really is dependent on a Dalvin Cook injury, right? And so Keontae Ingram would really fit like into that, like Khalil Herbert would fit into that, Keontae yep. Ingram. Ingram we won't be as confident about because we don't know for sure. We've seen Madison take that role and be a stud, right? So he, he definitely belongs to be in a tier above that. But yeah, I think whenever you look at the way you think about handcuffs, that's the way I think. Like the first level is guys that could still give me spike weeks, even if the other guy's not injury injured but if the other guy gets injured it could be a league winner then the next level is true like you need the starter to go down to get the value and so somewhere in that range like he'll fall somewhere in that in, in that kind of a tier kyler murray Dwayne, qb3 four you have qb2 let's go i've had him qb2 two since the beginning and now i'm just even that much more excited now i know you were just about to say the deandre hopkins uh suspension like so we've got six weeks that we're going to be without DeAndre Hopkins. That does hurt. That, though, 
does make the, the Hollywood Brown acquisition even that much more important, I think. Because Hollywood has shown us, as much as pe people may want to hate on Hollywood, it's really interesting. Like, he is, if you were just to profile him on some of, some of the underlying things that we really love to dig into, like on the per route basis for, um, you know, Marquise Brown, sorry, I'm pulling it up right now, but he is actually right there with a lot of the guys that we absolutely love. So if you look at his targets per route run over these last three seasons, from 21%, from 20% to 21% to 22%, like who does that sound like? That sounds like CeeDee Lamb, who we're absolutely bonkers over. So this is a guy that's been really good in his first three seasons. Yards per route, not quite getting to that two level we love, but he's had a 1.81, he had a 1.72. Last year, he was off to a hot start. He was over the two, and he ended up regressing some towards the end of the season. Um, obviously, you know, they're playing with Tyler Huntley. Some different things were going on with the offense. Not to make excuses, but he's right there in that range of a player um, that honestly, it's like he's not on the A.J. Brown level. Like he's definitely a tier below that. But I think most people, if you ask them, like, where does Marquise Brown rank to A.J. Brown? They'd tell you he's like multiple tiers below him. And he's really not. So um, I know we talked about it on the pod this, this weekend covering, you know, the draft. We didn't know how much of that would come to fruition because there's so many weapons to feed there, but we definitely felt there could be um, probably a static move, right, for Marquise Brown versus what he was used to. You get an upgrade, I think, in quarterback play, you're going to throw the ball slightly more than what you did as the Ravens, but there's still a lot of competition, you know, for the targets. In that first six weeks, like, we really could see Marquise Brown ball out. He has shown multiple times to be able to handle, like, a 25-30% target share in a game, so he could go gangbusters out of the gate. Good opportunity for you to do one of those tweets where it's like, player A, player B, let yeah. the people guess, and then they're going to be like, wait, what the hell? What, what are you doing yeah. in my mind right now? Yeah. With Marquise Brown, during these first six weeks, Dwayne, I think he's going to be a top 20 receiver that we're ranking. I mean, at least while Hawkins is out of the picture, even once Hawkins is back, we're still looking at an upside wide receiver three. What do you kind of, like, do you have a past strategy? Like, we have had these you know, suspensions at first, and Hopkins is going to be plummeting down draft boards how, you know, it is six games. That's losing a lot. Is he someone that you'd still be willing to take, though, you know, as a wide receiver three, knowing that we could get some wide receiver one goodness once he's back? Or are there enough red flags, you know, with him being a little bit older, with him starting to deal with injuries for really the first time in his career where, you know, like, I know, Mike, it's different than a guy being injured, obviously, but... How do you deal with someone that we already know we're losing six games with, and then we'll see what happens after? Uh, just pot, everybody on the pod is just going to hear my wife yelling at my dog to be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> Nora's in there barking. She was barking for Hollywood. You know, Hollywood of course, now. of course. But, but yeah, um, with, with DeAndre Hopkins, yeah, I'm still going to be willing to take him. Um, you know, because I still, we don't know that he's just over. I think everybody's just assuming, like, he's hit this cliff and it's all done. He's another player that if you go look back last year early in the season – was he underwhelming from a target per route run from a target share standpoint? Yeah, he absolutely was. But he was also battling injuries. And I believe it was week two where he picked up his first one. And then he tried to play through it. Remember, one of them might have been a high ankle sprain. I'll have to go back and look. But he was playing injured before he ultimately got shut down. So you kind of got to treat him the same way, the same conversation that we just had around Allen Robinson. And so the way I treat, treat these suspensions is I think about replacement points, right? You know, what, what can I get to fill in for DeAndre Hopkins? versus what I'm going to get when I get DeAndre Hopkins back. And I just need to know a clear timeline. Like it's tougher tougher for me, especially drafting at this point in the year, if it's a player where we're kind of thinking a range. Well, he could be out four to 12 weeks. Like that's yeah, <laughs> that makes it a little bit tougher to decide. But if we know for sure that it's going to be six weeks, we can think about what does that look like for replacement points. I think, and maybe this is something we talk about on one of the next pods, 
I think we can triangulate and use that information to say, look, here's the round where based on your roster construction, you should still be willing to take DeAndre Hopkins. I actually think there is a mathematical answer to that. Um, you know, depending we will on what, get we will get to the bottom of that. We'll get to point. it. Yeah. So I still think that's going to be there. And again, now it will depend on on the way you've built your roster through whichever round we think that is. Where hey, now's the time to pull up trigger on a guy like Hopkins. If you're already super receiver heavy, maybe you don't do it. But if it's something where for whatever reason the board fell your way and you've got three running backs and your wide receiver one and a tight end one, like that's probably the one we're going to be like, hey, why not take a swing on Hopkins? Because the other thing we'll look at is opportunity cost. Once you get to that point. Like, and you know you have Hopkins back. Like, how does he really compare to all the other guys going in that range for the weeks that you know he's going to be on the field? Because then you can circle back and pick up the replacement ones. Last edition of this podcast of Mythbuster Ian here with Kyler. The first half, second half splits. Can we quit acting like Kyler Murray is the only player in the NFL that has to deal with wear and tear? Like, it's, I know he's short. We all understand that. We all make our jokes about it. So dismissive. Come so dismissive. on. 2021. Every time I talk about him. It's ridiculous. Sorry, 2021, weeks one through eight. He was the QB six in fantasy points per game. Weeks nine through 18. Now, didn't play, again, points per game. He worked as the QB five after coming back from injury on a per game basis. So he was actually finishing higher, less fantasy points overall. My point is, quit like only holding this against Kyler and nobody else in the entire position. Like if I had to guess, and I will do a more full study on this, probably a lot of quarterbacks are slightly less productive in the second half of the year compared to the first half. Like we can't just assume because Kyler did have the drop off in 2020, but he played through the pain, man. So now we're assuming that not only is Kyler going to get hurt, but he's going to be playing through the pain. And it's all these assumptions for someone that what's he done in the first half of the year, be a freaking world beater time and time again. So just, Chill out and realize Kyler Murray. I'll just ask this: yeah. What, what other quarterbacks, realistically, not not pie in the sky, can throw for five thousand yards and rush for one thousand? Maybe, probably even not Josh Allen. He's probably not because yeah, he's a not going to get to the no. thousand rushing. No. Now Josh Allen makes up for it because he score. He's going to score. He scores a lot of touchdowns on the ground as well. But like Lamar can't get to five thousand yards passing. Like, it's not happening, especially now with losing Hollywood Brown. They're drafting all these tight ends. Like, I'm less confident. We'll get to them tomorrow, but I'm just less confident in what style the Ravens' offense is really going to be this year, whereas before we were like, well, they got all these weapons, and we saw them increase the passing last year. I felt like it would be somewhere in the middle. Probably still will be, um, but, like, I just feel like Kyler is it. He is the one guy, and so, fine, you want to take Josh Allen above him? You should. You should, because Allen has shown an ability to stay healthy. He's still going to do plenty for you on the ground. But then I think there's an argument for the next player being Kyler Murray. And guess what? The beauty is you can let Patrick Mahomes go off the board in front of him. You can let Lamar Jackson go off the board. You can let Justin Herbert go off the board and you can still get Kyler Murray. That's it's the combination of those two things. He's the only guy in the league we can truly say could do that. Right. And you get him after the other ones like those two things together. Like, again, like we're going to another Reese's conversation. It's chocolate and peanut butter. again. <laughs> With Rondale Moore. Okay, I was just looking this up. Last year, he played 37 snaps as a running back. Not one time was he asked to pass block. I, I get it. Either hand the ball or tell him to go out on a route. Do we really think there's a chance for this RB2 role? Maybe he's going to be a starting slot receiver now for the first six weeks, but does this Hopkins suspension, does their lack of a second real running back have you believing in Rondale? Because to me, man, it just seems like we need a lot of things to go right now for Rondale. The Hopkins suspension, yeah, that's one of them. And maybe that does indicate that Marquise is going to be an outside receiver there. How are you reading the Rondale Moore tea leaves right now? Because you can kind of craft a story the way you want, honestly. 
Well, one, he slipped from round 10 to round 12. So if you believe in more as a talent and think, well, you know, we can't ever really predict what's going to happen in a whole season and some weird things could break his way and he could still be a breakout player, then I can be down with that. Like if, if you want to take him, you know, in that range, I mean, he slipped two rounds. Um, but the way I'm reading the situation right now is it's just not good. You know, I, I feel like what we do as fantasy, you know, analysts, fantasy players, whatever we want to call it, like I'm a player first. I just love playing fantasy football um, is we project players into these weird roles because we just want to believe it's true. Remember this with <laughs> when Kareem Hunt went to the Browns. If you remember that preseason, everybody was like, they're going to use Kareem Hunt in the slot. You watch. He's going to play passing downs. And I went back and researched this. I'm like, no one ever in the history of the league has really used a running back in the slot enough to really make it work. Now, until last year, we saw it. You know, if you want to count, you know, Corbell Patterson, that was the first time um, that we've really seen that. So it's just a situation where I think we liked Rondell Moore. We thought he was a great value. You could stack him with, you know, um, you know, Kyler Murray, who you could get a discount on and draft. There were so many things to love about Rondell Moore. And now we're being asked to change our minds. And as human beings, we don't like, we don't like change. We don't like to change our minds. So sometimes I think it's easier to say he's going to be a running back. <laughs> he's going to be the running back. This could was the he plan get, all along. <laughs> right. Could he, could he get that role? Yes. It's in the range of outcomes, but I would need to hear a lot more about that. Like from, you know, like beat reporters, we actually trust to be able to get this kind of thing. Right. And what I mean by that is not them speculating, but I would actually want to hear in which a lot of times teams don't even let them see this. I would want to hear like, man, they've been using Rondell Moore at running back for three weeks straight every day in practice. Like if I heard that, I'd be like, okay, Rondell Moore's probably going to get some snaps in the backfield. But unless we see that, what's he going to get? Five a game? Like it's not going to be enough to make Rondell Moore um, all of a sudden, you know, be a player that we're just going to have to have in fantasy football. I, I agree. I think what you're going to get is Hollywood Brown has to work outside early in the season, which he can do. And Rondell could get a chance to blow up in the slot. And then what we could hope for, like this I think is the, be the, is the better way to think about how could Rondell Moore still strike gold? It would be that plays out and, and you finally, finally, you know, you get the coaching staff, you know, with Kingsbury decides we don't have to have AJ Green out there. We don't have to have Antoine Wesley out there. We're just going to run, you know, Hollywood Brown. We're going to have Rondell in the slot and we're going to have DeAndre Hopkins opposite on the other side. When we want to go 10 personnel, fine. We'll kick Rondell and we'll kick Hollywood inside and we'll let AJ Green play outside. Like that is to me, the more realistic path that I would be telling myself that, hey, weird things happen, so don't totally leave yourself out on gaining exposure to Rondo Moore, especially now that he's slipping. This is the really sad part here. DeAndre Hopkins is out. Last year when DeAndre Hopkins was out, Antoine Wesley replaced him in three wide receiver sets. Dwayne, we might get into week one with A.J. Green and Antoine Wesley on the outside with Marquise Brown in the slot. And then when Hopkins comes back, he replaces Wesley. Like, that could happen. And Kingsbury should just be fired. Like if that happens, I'm like, what are we doing now? Look, I know there's more to it. You want to be able to block for the run. And look, the Cardinals are not as he as pass heavy as what people think, right? No. They're around 60%. They're right at the league average in, in their their dropbacks versus the way the rest of the NFL handles things. So um, I think a lot of times people get in, in their head when they think of air raid and they think of the Kingsbury offense. It's not necessarily like this 70% dropback rate. Um, but we would love to see it, Cliff. Just saying. We'd love <laughs> yeah. to see 70% for uh, Kyler Murray. You know what I want for Rondo? Remember uh, the program, that old 
old movie about oh, the yeah. coach. Yeah, yeah. I want them to like be like, all right, Rondale, got to work on that ball security. You know, carry this football around for the next month. Any defender gets to bring it back. You know, gets that 10k bonus check, and we just got <laughs> Rondale working on you know high and tight all 24 hours of the day. I'm sure this won't be the last time. As we long talk. as Rondale's not laying like in the middle of an intersection in between like traffic. <laughs> That got that got dark. My goodness! All right, two more yeah. teams, everyone. San Francisco. You don't remember that part in the movie? Anyway. No, nah, I gotta watch it again. That's that's a classic. <laughs> San Francisco 49ers, running back Tyrion Davis Price, round three. Wide receiver Danny Gray, round three, and quarterback Brock Purdy, all the way at the end in round seven. Pretty static on everything. I mean, look, it's Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel. We're not gonna you know get into what if Debo Samuel was traded right now. It does seem like that's kind of died down a little bit, but we'll see. The problem with Danny Gray and Juwan Jennings, their usual number three receiver, is just that it's a run-first offense that uses Kyle Juice Check so much that we're never going to see a number three receiver just be on the field enough to be a fantasy-relevant factor. So I'm not too worried about Gray. What do we make of TDP, Dwayne? I don't, I'm not expecting him to take over or anything, but at this point, Elijah Mitchell, where does he fall in your tiers? Because, you know, Cam Akers, David Montgomery, I want both those guys ahead of Elijah Mitchell. And once we're getting to that point in the draft, I could just see myself taking wide receivers instead of risking it on, let's face it, someone that if he doesn't start week one, it wouldn't be the biggest shot. Kyle Shanahan does this year after year after year. We got to quit acting surprised every single time it happens. Yeah. So, I mean, I've got him listed, you know, as a, it's the 3A tier, um, so, but it's still inside my top 24. And again, so that's like the way I work my tiers. It's like, I would prefer this back to be like my third back. But if I needed to, he's still inside my top 24. Um, and I and I base this based on really what we're projecting the role to be, the talent, because every year, like if you think about it, like what's the average points that, right, the top 12 backs score, the top 24, the top 36, it doesn't mean that every year we're going to have enough backs to fill all of that. And so with Elijah Mitchell, like the beauty is like he still split, he plays in an, an explosive offense. You know, he was an explosive player last year. You know, if you look at him, 12% of his carries went for 10 yards or more. So there's a lot of good things to like about him. But to your point, like how many times do we have to have Kyle Shanahan completely pull the rug out from under us? And he did it last year with a player everybody loved and Brandon Ayuk, right? Did it with Trey Sermon. So it's totally possible. Um, I think Mitchell showed enough and his explosive playmaking is a he's a very different player than Tyrion Davis price, right? He is a much more explosive runner. And so Tyrion Davis price, I feel like what we could see is, you know, him come in handle a little bit more work, you know, in between the tackles, but still when you want to run outside zone, you really want to try to stretch things to the outside. Like that's really where you can see Elijah Mitchell. So I'm calling this an upside committee back, you know, because we know that if things break right and all of a sudden he owns the backfield, like he's shown the talent, it's a great scheme. But for right now, you probably do need to approach it that he's going to be, when I say lead, 50%, you know, depending on some of these guys like J.K. Dobbins, I have in the same tier, uh, going to be a lead guy. But we know there's going to be one, if not two other players still involved in the offense, you know, in the backfield. So and I think that's about where he goes. And I've got him, like I said, at 20. But right now on FFPC, like so far, like, man, I love having this data. Um, he is, he's actually moved up. Wow. So he moved up after the draft. So he's, he was a fifth round pick and he's now going in the fourth um, and he is going ahead of, so Brees Hall, then Elijah Mitchell, then David Montgomery, then JK Dobbins. And then at the end of the fourth round, you've got Josh Jacobs and Ezekiel Elliott. And then in the fifth round, you got Travis Etienne. So that's the range he's going in right before him, Antonio Gibson and Cam Akers. We'll say we shouldn't assume that the 49ers are just going to be this top 10 offensive juggernaut. 
Eight of the last 12 seasons, Kyle Shanahan has led an offense that's ranked 20th or worse in points per game. Last year, they were 13th. That was one of them. 2019, they had the second-ranked offense. The 2016 Falcons offense was incredible, and the RG3 Washington year was great. Every other time, though, since 2010, 20th or worse. And Dwayne, like, when was the last RB2 that Kyle Shanahan has enabled? Probably Carlos Hyde. <laughs> I think yeah. it's Carlos Hyde. I know Mitchell was there on a per-game basis last year. Would have gotten there if he wasn't hurt, but it's just, you know. Yeah, Mitchell was there on a points per game. He was at 15, so he would have gotten there. But, yeah, like, yeah. I mean, the thing is, like, he's just so quick to change, you know. Yeah. And, um, like, if a running back's dealing with any kind of injury a lot of times, they'll just make the switch. So, yeah, there's a lot of different things you got to piece through. I think the question you're going to ask yourself, like, from a draft strategy standpoint, is so Jalen Waddle's going to pick after that. I'm taking Jalen Waddle over Elijah Mitchell, like, 10 out of 10 times, most likely. Um, yeah, I know he's got to deal with Tyreek um, Hill, but like what we saw Jalen Waddle do as a rookie, like is just like it's on another level. You know, he's got the first round capital. He's not completely going away. And it could very easily be Tyreek Hill gets 25 percent of the targets. Jalen Waddle gets 25 percent of the targets. People don't people forget like Tyreek Hill's never been a 30 percent target share guy. Right. That's not really his thing. Not to say that he couldn't. But I think there's plenty of room for a guy like Waddle. You're also looking at um, DK Metcalf, Deontay Johnson, Terry McLaurin. Those guys are all going. So I think the where you're going to be torn is like, do you want to take a receiver there or do you want to take a running back that you're concerned about? My biggest thing with Mitchell is do we do we think he really has any kind of path to just be the every down back? And I I struggle I struggle finding a scenario because they're willing to use Debo back there, right? They've got all these other backs on the team. To me if I thought there was this range of outcomes that didn't need like five dominoes to fall where Elijah Mitchell would also all of a sudden look up and be like, wow, I'm getting 70% of the work in San Francisco. I'd be more willing to take a stab on him there. I just, I, I don't know that I can get my arms around him. Last year, I remember there was like thir about 13 running backs or so that we were pretty comfortable taking in the top three rounds. We were also focusing on trying to get one of those big three tight ends. I think we'll be maybe around that 13 to 16 number of running back again, guys that we're really confident in. And I just don't think Mitchell's going to be there. Yeah, I want definitely Waddle ahead of uh, Elijah Mitchell. But I even think like Terry McLaurin, DK Metcalf, Michael Pittman, Chris Godwin. I'd probably take those guys ahead of Mitchell as well. Plenty of time to figure it out. But man, like using the 93rd overall pick on another running back here. Mitchell was someone that, Dwayne, like we were before the draft, we were ready to talk about him being an RB1 based on them not adding to the room the entire offseason. But, yeah, this is terrible. It's, yeah, it's we basically said if he made it through the draft without a day two pick hitting, and it did. And it did. <laughs> so, so. so to me, like, I still think he's going to lead that backfield. Um, but there is some risk that he won't just because Shanahan will do weird things. But I think if we had to place odds today, I'd say, what, 70% chance he leads that backfield. I just It's hard for me to imagine leading the backfield, meaning more than, like, 50 to 55% of the touches. And we know he's not going to catch passes. Like We need a lot to go. All of a sudden, there's a lot that needs to go right for Elijah Mitchell. Maybe it will. Last team, Seattle Seahawks took running back Kenneth Walker with the 40, 41st overall pick, second round. Wide receiver Bill Melton in the seventh round and tight end Derek Young in the seventh round. Biggest veteran winner, Drew Locke, baby. It's not even a guarantee he starts in week one. Like Honestly, him versus Geno Smith uh, could be a pretty good competition. Geno wasn't bad when he got a chance to start uh, last year. He was objectively better than Drew Locke was in what, what he was doing his thing in Denver. It's not like Drew Locke was in an offense that didn't have good wide receivers for him already. I do think it's an upgrade with Metcalf and Lockett. Uh, but yeah, come on. We're not really expecting much from Locke in fantasy land particularly, which of course is always the point of this podcast. 
Biggest loser, Dwayne, has to be Rashad Penny. But who do you think leads this team in rushing if no one gets hurt? Carson, Penny, or Walker? And they're just all good to go. Walker. I, I just think Walk, Walker is the better player. Um, okay. I mean, you know, we've talked about him multiple times. Like, he hits a lot of key metrics that we want to see um, as far as, you know, rookies and coming in and being able to score fantasy points in the first three seasons. The biggest problem for Walker, I don't really think is Rashad Penny or, or Chris Carson. It's just that, you know, it's an anemic offense. We don't have a quarterback. They're not going to score a lot of points. They ran only 55 plays per game in regulation last year. Um, so, I mean, there's, you know, if there's any kind of a committee, which there will be, that's going to be the problem. I think Kenneth Walker will lead the way. But the committee we know is going to be there, even if he's getting half the work and the other two guys are splitting 25-25. Um, man, it's, it's, it's going to be like, how are you going to really get a lot of value out of that? You know, I, I, that, that's what I'm struggling with in the way that I'm thinking. And, and, and I like Walker. Like, I've got him ranked, you know, in my, you know, he, I've got him as a high-end RB3 right now. Um, but you're going to need some things to break your way. Either the offense has got to get better, and I'm not really sure how that's going to happen, or all of a sudden Pete Carroll's got to decide like he's not going to really continue to use two to three back committees. Because here's the problem. Penny was great last year at the end. We all talk about the over oh, six yeah. yards per carry. You know, you look at the last five games, a lot of good highlights. This wasn't like a James Conner stretch, though, or even an Antonio Gibson stretch where they were getting featured as like the only running back out there. I mean, I got his snaps pulled up now. Final five games of the season that everyone remembers Penny doing great in, 57% snaps, 42%, 54 64 finally 74 Like, they kept Travis Homer or DJ Dallas out there on pass downs, and that's the one damn problem with Kenneth Walker. Like, Seahawks haven't thrown the running backs over the years. Maybe that's more because of a Russell Wilson thing, but Drew Locke, I'm not really anticipating. I mean, come on, man. He's a gunslinger. He doesn't have time for checking down. He's trying to, <laughs> he's trying to score an 80-yard touchdown and bump it to Jeezy on the sideline, man. So, I don't think we're getting getting like a lot of target share for Kenneth Walker, even if he is the pass down back, which I don't think he is. If it was just Walker and Penny, I could live with that, but I have a bad feeling we're going to have another running back in the mold of like a 2021 Brandon Bolden, not someone we're going to care about in fantasy, but someone that when the Seahawks fall behind, which, you know, flash, what the hell is that trying to say? Like, Brain flash. They, they're going to suck this year. That's my point. We're going to have a ton of negative game script, and I think we're going to have like DJ Dallas or Travis Homer on the freaking field ahead of these guys. So Kenneth Walker, it's all about the ADP, Dwayne. Like if he is going to be there kind of in that Chase Edmond, Cordero Patterson uh, range, that's fine. But he's going to have to drop, and that's one of the problems with these rookies because as much as a lot of the wide receivers, I think we might see rise. Like Kenneth Walker was already kind of going around that RB2 borderline, and I have my doubts if he's really going to fall enough for us to get behind him. He'll be a roster construction dilemma. Like yeah. say you come out of the gate hot with two wide receivers, a tight end. Uh, maybe, maybe you come out of three wide receivers, a tight end, and a, and a quarterback. Then, like, I still like Walker because at that point, I like betting on talent, not trying to figure out that I'm going to get a situation right. You know, so it's like, okay, great. Let's just go with Kenneth Walker in that case and then just build. You got to have to throw a lot of stuff behind him. Um, so, I mean, I think there's still a path to using him, but he hasn't moved. He stayed at the sixth round. What's interesting is Rashad Penny has not moved either. He's still an eighth round pick. So drafters are kind of torn between these two guys. Like some people are saying Kenneth Walker, he's the rookie. Naturally, he's going to go earlier. Um, it kind of reminds me of what we saw 
um, like six or seven years ago with Tevin Coleman and Devonta Freeman. And guess what the right answer ended up being? Devonta Freeman, not Tevin Coleman. Not that Tevin Coleman didn't do some things for you that season, but that was the year Devonta Freeman really went nuts. So um, we'll have to see what ADP does. But right now, neither player is budging. You know, um, if people think that Rashad Penny, it's interesting, right? Because if people are still willing to take Rashad Penny in round eight, instead of him dipping to 10, but we're still taking Kenneth Walker in round six, it's almost like, you know, people just don't know what to think. They don't know what to think um, about the way the backfield is going to play out. I will know. I did a study going to last year, kind of looking at the upside of maybe taking a rookie running back in the middle rounds as a keeper. As we know, a lot of leagues, you know, you have mm, yeah. maybe one or two guys to keep. And what I found was that first year running backs only saw, and this is not overall um, position increase. It's in terms of running back ADP. So if you're the RB one, you go to the RB five, that's a four spot difference. Even if it's a larger difference in the course of an entire draft, but first round running backs saw an increase of five running back spots from year one to year two, second and third round qualifiers combined for a plus nine average. So this was one reason why in certain drafts I had, I was more so on Trey Sermon and Javante Williams in those middle rounds because of what could happen. Now we saw with Trey Sermon, not exactly working well, but with Javante Williams, man like you're loving having him at around six or seven keeper price i think that could be where kenneth walker is a value now it's one keeper and a sixth or seventh round pick is valuable i'm not saying to you know tank your freaking 2022 season just to get a one keeper right for 2023 but that would be my favorite spot uh for walk for walker because he is the guy and we could see us with javante last year but like kenneth walker in 2023 man then we could actually get a good quarterback in seattle penny's only so, on a one-year deal carson's on his last year of his deal 2023 is really when we should expect walker to be breaking out so, so here are the backs that he's going around, which is why I still think he's in play here. Like you can take Kenneth Walker or Clyde Edwards-Alaire. I'm probably taking Kenneth Walker. You can Ooh. take Kenneth Walker or yeah. A.J. Dillon. I'm probably taking Kenneth Walker just because Aaron Jones is a badass. Like yeah. A.J. Dillon's going to need an injury to Aaron Jones to take over a full role. I think there's a chance Kenneth Walker just outright can take his role. Now, again, much better Packers offense. So I get why people have them close. And, and I still like A.J. Dillon. I want exposure. The next player is Damian Harris, a guy that no matter what happens after the draft that they had, and I know we'll talk about the, the AFC teams tomorrow, but like there's no path for any back on the Patriots to have any shot of fully taking over a backfield. So I think Kenneth Walker is more talented than all the players we just named. He's on a worse offense, but I think he also probably, I would give him the best chance of being the one, despite all the issues with the Seahawks, for us to look up week four and be like, wow, Kenneth Walker's got the whole gig. Like I, I feel better about him doing it than the other guys that we just named. You could argue Clyde Edwards-Alaire, right? We, you know, we've been pretty rough on Clyde Edwards-Alaire this offseason, um, but he just hasn't shown anything for us yet. So I, I kind of get the range where he's going. Um, you know, and the, the, the receivers around him are Juju Smith-Schuster, Brandon Cooks, Mike Williams. Um, a little bit after him, after that is Gabe Davis, Marquise Brown. So the thing is, I don't feel bad about. I'm going to feel fine clicking on Kenneth Walker's name versus all those other guys we just said. Not that I won't click on those other games, the other players' names as well, but I do think that they're, you know, I think that those guys are all close enough that I feel, if I feel that I need an upside running back on my team, I'm still going to be willing to take Walker even in the six. But I'm going to go ahead and get some exposure to Penny. Penny's the weird one. I thought once Walker was drafted, like Penny, Penny was already an eighth, eighth and ninth round pick before. Like I, and maybe this will still settle out, but usually when you see a move like this, like Penny would fall to the 10th or 11th round. And then, and then I would like him more if they were spread out a little bit further. I might actually have more Penny exposure than Walker. Uh, but right now they're holding really close together. 
they gave him five million guaranteed. I mean, he's not a cut candidate or anything like that. So yeah. everyone, we've done it. Sixteen up, sixteen down. Dwayne, thank God we uh, pivoted to doing two of these. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure we could go four hours, but we don't need to. Uh, we don't need to today. That's for sure. Check out pff.com. Dwayne's going to have his QB, running back, wide receiver, and tight end rankings and tiers updated throughout the week. Again, I have my 27 veterans piece uh, that won the NFL draft already up. Obviously, USFL stuff continues to go through. And I will also have my updated ranks up on pff.com by the end of the week. And as Dwayne said, we'll be back here tomorrow breaking down all the AFC squad's best ball stream on Wednesday. I'm sure we'll find something to bark about on Friday as well. Dwayne, anything else you want to get off your chest? No, man. Um, looking forward to AFC tomorrow. But like, I, I love coming back and really like giving the veterans some respect. So I, I kind of like taking this approach. I know we still talked about the rookies, but you know, we've, we've covered the rookies all weekend long. Um, and the fact of the matter is like once the draft's over and we get this last piece, like it's really about what do the complete rosters look like? Um, and then now what are we thinking as we head into what I like to call projection season, where we all actually start tightening everything down, making these projections. So like, this is kind of a good like springboard to, to really you know, jump in to making those sort of things really get rolling. And then, you know, we'll obviously come back and fine tune these guys. Last 10 years, uh, top fantasy performers at quarterback, 5% have been rookies, 14% running back, 4% wide receiver, 2% tight end. It's fun to talk about the rookies. We do it for three months every year, but it's going to be the veterans that are going to be the ones filling up the fantasy leaderboards when it all comes down to it. So keep that in mind. And yeah, if you, Look, you know, so Scott, what would be cool on this chart, and I was actually going to ask you about it, Ian, was if you made the denominator by only against rookies for the rookies, and you made the denominator for veterans only against veterans, right? Because there are just way more veterans. So naturally, I would expect the veterans to win on this right. chart. What I would like to know is like, what is the typical hit rate of a rookie? So say if there's, and you can just cut it off, like where you think for even just using ADP, mm-hmm. like what percentage in the first 10 rounds of rookies hit that are going yep. in the first, say, 11 rounds? And, and then how much different is it versus what we're seeing with the veterans? I still think the veterans are going to win out. I don't think it's going to be quite, I don't think it's going to be quite as crazy. Now, I think if you did it at the top six positions, it's probably almost always going to be veterans um, if you limit it to that. And as always, draft capital tends to be our biggest signifier. Yeah. Over 80% of the top performing rookies at every single position have been drafted inside the top three rounds. There's an exception from time to time. We've seen them. I'm not saying there won't be one this year. Elijah Mitchell. Hey. Be very I'm careful. Even 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 Mitchell ended up not qualifying, man. So madness. You still would have liked to have Elijah Mitchell, but it, you know, for the sake of not going on the three hours, because Dwayne and I could sit here and keep talking, <laughs> we'll wrap this up. For Dwayne, I'm Ian. Thanks as always for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Until next time, take care, everybody.